Hi, this is Sean Sipos. I play Adam Strange on Krypton, and you're listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Welcome to Neil Before Pods. I'm Chris McCrell, and once again, I and my trusty crew are claiming this podcast as legitimate salvage as we talk about season five of The Expanse. Joining me on this journey through the solar system are my crewmates, Aaron and Kat. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hello. Welcome along. Season five. We've made it. The little show that could. <laughs> we did it, you guys. We did it. <laughs> Thanks to that sweet, sweet, sweet Amazon money. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, now sadly we didn't we didn't get to record a season four podcast just due to things and stuff. So, how have you been enjoying the expanse going into this season? Did you have positive outcome of last season? I will say season four was a bit of a drag for me. I recently, so I did a rewatch, kind of ramping up to season five complete rewatch with my partner who hadn't seen it before at all and it still was a drag for me season four I think absolutely the weakest in terms of pacing somehow it just feels like nothing's happening even though loads is happening and so season five I would say absolutely was an upgrade because there's so much action main plot stuff that isn't just like here's this angry frontier dude in foreign planet just being a dick I didn't hate season four, but I also kind of didn't love it. But I loved season five, so positive right now, for sure. And what about you, Aaron? What were your expectations going into the season? That That's difficult, actually, because I was told to expect season four was going to be a different show, and it was. So I guess I was expecting more of that different type of show. But then actually, as Cass just said, because they then in season five seemed to go back to maybe the more like seasons one or two, it was such a welcome return home that I, I probably didn't have many expectations and therefore they were very easily improved upon. I did enjoy last season. I did have sort of some of the same qualms as Cat with the previous season. There were elements of it I liked. There were elements of it that I was a bit meh about. Certain character arcs through it that I didn't quite fully believe in through the way of the show uh, running. Ava Sarala in particular, I I didn't quite like the way her Mm. her arc went in the last season. Oh my god, yes. It was a bit odd. Also, the recasting of the husband was really really strange. That actor, he's just not very great, and they had no chemistry. I was supposed to believe they were husband and wife. It just felt like... (laughs) She was his mom, and he was just me. <laughs> like, I just I, I couldn't stand him. Absolutely. He's on for so short a time, though, isn't he? He's just, like, just there for a few words. So maybe they couldn't pay enough to get somebody in for such a teeny part. It just seemed that he was so, so much more pivotal in that last season because of the way it was focusing on our election campaign, where in the previous seasons he, he was kind of just a, a side role, essentially, to have a Sarala. So it seemed very odd for them to recast at that point and not just make it a different character because they've made a big point in the expanse of the past of just oh well if we can't use that character then we'll just either invent one or we'll kind of dress up an existing character differently into this new role and they didn't do that last season that kind of confused me a little bit going into this season i have read the books though i end up forgetting a lot more (laughs) than i should 
I knew that the crew were probably going to be split up this season, which I was wondering how they would handle that. Because normally your TV audience, like your core cast to be together because it's all about their interaction and, you know, you're experiencing it through them. So to split them all up, I was interested in how they were going to handle that and manage to give everyone equal screen time. And I think they succeeded in some places. And I think in other places, they probably jumped bits of story that they could have expanded on. But overall, I really enjoyed it. So are we ready to go into the spoiler zone? Yeah, for sure. I, I don't know whether we're going to go through the spoiler gate. I've, I've not tried decided yet. <laughs> the ring. We're going to go into the spoiler ring. That just sounds seedy. I don't know. I'm not a fan of the spoiler ring idea, everyone. <laughs> Oh, wow. What a noise that was. We are now safe to talk about spoilers. Like I said before, the story this season was sort of split with all our crew members scattered across the solar system. No one is beyond the ring this year. Everyone is uh, either on Mars, Tycho, heading towards Earth, or on uh, Luna. Aaron, what was your your favourite of these story arcs this year, with, with everyone being all split up? Really enjoyed both... Amos and Drummer, their two plot lines. Which would you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about Amos? Let's let's talk about Amos. Talk about he's, Amos. He's, he's he's in towards Earth, isn't he? Everybody wants to talk about Amos. I think. That, <laughs> that, uh, although I don't, I don't feel like I should. I feel like Kat needs to talk about this one because she tells me about her special relationship with Amos. I feel like I should defer to her, really. Okay, my favorite storyline. I would say probably. Bit of a toss-up as the show kind of goes on. Overall, I loved um, Amos the movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just feel like there was a, a whole film in there about Amos and the kind of world that he came from that we get to see a bit of and like post-apocalyptic survival stuff. Just like those relationships that he has with like people from his past and then also Clarissa Mao somehow. <laughs> my uh, partner calls her lesser Mao because <laughs> she she doesn't hold <laughs> well she doesn't hold up a candle to Julie so um you know she is the lesser Mao of like the two so yeah so it's a toss up between that kind of as a whole and then Naomi who I think especially towards the end of the show kind of gives a powerhouse performance it was basically gravity but Naomi instead of Sandra Bullock so Dominique Tipper I think does an absolutely like stellar holy shit wow naomi story but then also the ones i that every every new episode i'd be like oh man i really hope we get to see more of like the amos stuff so what you're saying is amos does win which is always probably going to be obvious but we have confirmed it honestly i mean and i think based on like other podcasts we've done in the past about the Expanse. Amos has a special place in my heart because he's such a unique character. And Wes Chatham just does such a good job without a whole lot of dialogue a lot of the time. I know that he'd been given the backstory that we kind of get a glimpse into in this season. He'd been given that at the beginning of the show. In order to inform his performance, they kind of gave him the the novella that his story is based on. And just kind of went okay so here's the guy you're playing this is you and so I'm, I'm just glad and we kind of got to see more of that and just spend a lot of like quality time with amos <laughs> uh because a lot of the time i think he takes he takes a back seat you know to to holden for sure and his 
for lack of a better word, uh, Holden bullshit. As much as I love him, Holden Holden's my favorite character, but he 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 has some bullshit, yo. <laughs> some issues that he can't seem to get away from. Holden seems too sensible for that crew, almost, isn't it? It's uh, you you go to Holden for your conscience. Ah, uh, yes and no. The thing about him is that he's that kind of self-righteous protagonist or maybe just righteous protagonist, you know, like he has a sense of this is the right thing to do, what I am meant to do to help or save people or whatever. But then he loses the plot a little bit at some point in between kind of seasons two and three. And he kind of has a dark moment where he's like, well, what's the point? No matter what I do, it's all going to go to hell anyway. What am I doing here? Who knows? But then he goes back to like, my name is James Holden. I'm going to broadcast this to the entire universe, <laughs> which is which is what we know and love about James Holden. You know, because he's that kind of righteous protagonist, he kind of automatically takes the spotlight a lot of the time. Just fine, you know, like, it's mostly the Holden story. But I was really happy to get quality Amos time and then actually quality Naomi time because through, like, her subplot reuniting with her long-lost family and the issues that come with that, kind of exercising her past in a way, just really finding what matters to her. It's really powerful stuff. I think we, we got a lot of character work done in this season. Of, I feel very good about it. My favorite arcs a season naomi for sure because what a powerhouse piece of acting that was this season that was just torturous what she went through this season and the emotions that she went through through this entire thing and comes out the other end of it alive (laughs) is just unreal and a really great performance and also one of my growing favorite characters of the expanse drummer and her arc this season her new family and what happens to them through this season i just thought was a a really interesting plot thread and a sort of crew that i didn't think we'd really get to see i thought we would get to see drummer this season maybe popping up somewhere but i wasn't expecting her to be as involved in the marco plotline and i wasn't expecting to be as engaged with it as I was, but I was Mm. constantly wanting to go back to their ships and see what they were up to and what they were thinking about the situation that they were caught in the middle of. Again, a little bit like Naomi, where they're trapped and they've got no escape. They can't fight against them because they're outgunned. They don't really want to join wholeheartedly with what Marco's doing because they disagree with what he's ultimately doing. They they disagree with his methods, not maybe, maybe don't disagree with his statement, but they disagree with his methods. So I thought that was a really interesting arc to see and a, a sort of family torn apart by the end of this this season. That's one of the reasons that I enjoyed season five a lot more than season four, actually, because Camino and her family give you the very personal, as you say, perspective on the politics. And it was very noticeable for me that season four felt much more like watching the old RPG stream, because we know this has come at some point from a, from a game. And with all the alien stuff and people discovering wibbly things in dark corners, you're thinking, yeah, this is definitely somebody playing a game and we're watching it out on the stream. Whereas when you come into season five, you're back into the politics of humans and how much trouble they're having with each other. And it's okay to see 
the politics at the top level. I, I don't say that seeing the UN was bad, but it was somehow less interesting because it couldn't really be nuanced. It, it's, it had to be very much, I am the general and I want war. Ah, well, I am the courtier and I want peace. Go. Whereas when you get into Kamina and her family, as you say, it's all about personal choices and the nuance of that. Who's going to betray who? Who does that without meaning to? And who does it on purpose? And it's so much more brutal because of that. And very noticeably, La, the, I remember us talking in season three, what they gave to Kamina at the end of season three, I didn't really want to see it. They, I felt like she was involved in a fight, mm-hmm. an internal fight, all the good guys fighting each other that felt like it sort of had to be there because that where the plot was going. And that bothered me. I didn't think it was necessarily badly written. I just thought, I, I want to see these people fight. I've seen it already. Whereas now, everything they're going through was brutally realistic and all needed to be there. And I was constantly hooked by that because it was never going to get any better. It was never going to be nice. And it was purely about how much of your soul can you keep by the end of it? That's all you're going to be able to do, which was gripping as it was horrible. Yeah, it was that situation where she's stuck where there are no good choices. Yes. You're good. You're going to suffer on either side of this, no matter what way you choose. Yeah. What side of the ledger do you want to come out slightly clearer on? But you can't win. Either way, you cannot win. I want to say I agree with you in that the conflict Kamina finds herself in is extremely interesting, and as you say, a dead end. You know, there's no good choice to be made. Whatever she does, it's not great for her or like other people but some of the some of the people on that crew i don't think that those characters were very well fleshed out it kind of left a bit to be desired in the personality department to be honest with you towards the end as the conflict was ramping up and kamina was forced to make a decision make a stand a lot of it just became a little too petty for me if that makes sense um her main female lover whose name i can't even recall was just kind of like do i matter or does naomi matter you should do what i think because i'm your family now i don't think that who are you again (laughs) queer rep on the show this is what i live for yes please kamina kissing women on screen yes thank you but at the end of the day that woman like i don't really know what she's about or who she is or her name at this point and that's a bit of a weak point, I think. As is Coral, like the lady who came from Marco's ship to be mm. on drummer ship, and she was just there to be mean, and that's it. What's she about? I don't know. She's just mean, a zealot, and that's about it. Like, you don't really get anything from her. It's quite interesting, actually, to hear you say that, because I've probably thought the same things you've thought about other characters and I think mm. I thought it completely the opposite about these ones. I thought mm. these were the most well-developed. Like, I mean, like the general uh, in, in Evasarala's plot for me was just what, and the guy who becomes the UN leader seemed like he was going to be promising, but then he became the trope because he needed to be. And I have had those thoughts, but yeah, completely the opposite. But I, I feel like I should back it up though, because I also can't remember the second in command of, of Kamina's ship. That's really going to knock me, but 
I did feel like she did have enough of a character and I didn't find it petty at all. The reason being she was the one who was the practical responsible one. And I never at any point thought it was about Naomi. I never saw it as a potential lover's threat or as even as a threat to friendship. I didn't catch either of those. What I saw it was is, Kamina, you, you say you've got a family here. And yet you appear to be prepared to drop all of us for an old friend. Is it a lie? Are we not really a family? What does family mean for you? you, Because family seems to be, Naomi is your family. Hmm. So I I never actually ever thought of it as petty in that sense because of that. And the... um, I mean, and just, just on the other woman, yeah. just so just to complete the picture on the other woman, the one who is ble- who's just mean, I kind of get that. I do get that she's just mean, but there are a million characters, and I do wonder if with her it's just there's not enough screen time because for me she was very important as a as a mean character and as purely mean because if I was going to believe that Marco was this promised one who was going to lead us to victory he really needs to be able to capitalize upon the negative emotions of his followers he needs them to be constantly angry and focused at one point otherwise they probably won't follow him so i didn't want her to be more than that because she was his cruise missile and i think you need to see that passion and that pure zealousness in marco's crew Otherwise, you're not going to believe them to be capable of hitting Earth with an asteroid. You know, they should seem a little bit inhuman. They're not. And, of course, that's how we should try and get back together with these people. And, you know, the the, the wars that are occurring, how do you possibly solve those wars? Well, you, you try and treat the people as humans again. But there is a reason why, during the middle of those horrible wars, it's a struggle to see the other side as human because they're so lost in their emotions. So, again, I, I, did, I, I think both of those two characters then were what they are, and I, I, I didn't feel myself like they lacked anything uh, mm-hmm. in that in that way. Two things on the crewmate of Marco's ship, Coral. I think her name was. All of that. I'm not saying like don't be a zealot. I'm saying people are more than one thing. And she was a bit of a one note presence. She didn't have like anything to say for herself other than this one thing. And maybe it's a screen time thing and maybe, which is fine considering just the amount of stuff we got through in 10 episodes. Mm -hmm. But I do think that like there, there could, and in my opinion should have been more than one side to this person on the lover slash second in command as a queer person it absolutely comes down to it being about naomi toward the end there's an actual line where she asks drummer you loved this woman do we matter the same as she did to you and the answer and she knows this is no and we know this because of the relationship we've seen drummer develop with Naomi through the show and I'm telling you as a queer person there is absolutely a homoerotic undercurrent with Naomi and drummer the entire time that they know each other uh drummer only falls short of completely throwing herself at Naomi at one point and Naomi's just like oh but Holden though um and and I think drummer actually asks her like what does he have that I don't and it's just like oof buddy 
been there, you know, just it's, it's recognizing those queer things, which I think, I think they're done brilliantly, but they are very much like a, an undercurrent. It's never, you know, drummer never actually propositions Naomi, right? But you can kind of see when Naomi is on the behemoth for a little while, that drummer was hoping Naomi would stay, that this was for good. And when Naomi's like, no, I got to leave, I got to go to my crew and I got to go back to Holden and drummer's just crestfallen because she doesn't mean as much to Naomi as Naomi does to her. And so that's why I was very happy to see her get actual polyamorous space pirate. She gets to have, you know, (laughs) not just one romance, but probably a few of them at the same time. And that's great. Good for you very happy you're finally getting some out there in space because <laughs> Naomi doesn't have a gay bone in her body and it wasn't going to happen. But leading up to this moment of second in command lady being like, do you love me as much as you loved Naomi? And now that you know that Naomi's dead, will you do what you must in order to protect my life? Until then, it was the buildup, I think, that wasn't super strong for me and maybe it comes down to the actress or maybe like what she was given to work with it just felt not enough for me to care about her as a person compared to say drummer and obviously Naomi we know these people and we perhaps didn't get as much time with this woman and this crew and that's always kind of a dangerous slippery slope when you invite new characters onto a stage and You want the audience to care for these people, but they've spent more time with all those other guys. And how are you going to get them to to an equal level? It's always hard to do. And I don't know many shows that manage to do it very well. So maybe it's just that. Those are my feelings on like Drummer and her queer polyamorous space pirate crew. Mind blown, to be honest, to like actually see that plot line followed through to that extent. You don't you don't see that on TV very often. It was a very interesting sort of family style dynamic to have on the air, and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head a little bit there, Cat, where you said that we've spent so long getting to know all these other characters, all these other relationships through the series, that to introduce a new family at this point, they don't have enough time to sit and develop all those relationships, and the the program itself has done a little time jump since season four. They've said sort of, oh, it's been another six months, it's been another year or so to get to the point where they are now. So they've got to do a lot of on-screen short code to try and get us to the, oh, drummer's got a new crew and a family dynamic, these relationships. And is it a serious relationship or is it a casual relationship? Does one see it one way? Does one see it another? And they've got to do that and put it onto screen really, really quickly because this season... As much as there are certain elements of it where you go, oh, it's actually taking quite a slow pace, the undercurrent of it's moving fast. <laughs> There's a lot of developments through this season. It's one of those ones where I feel that I, I would have loved to have seen more of them. I don't know where they would have maybe fitted it in. Unless she had left earlier in the previous season and then they start introducing the characters more through the previous season, but then then you lose all the content that you had at the the end of season four. So I think that's where maybe certain bits were lost i felt sort of similar to yourself i would struggle to name all the characters on that crew (laughs) i would not be able to do it it's an impossibility without me cheating and quickly getting imdb up i would 
struggled to name all the crew. And I think some of the, the points that the crew were making. So by the end, by uh, episode 10, the crew are deciding, oh, well, I'm going to stay with Drummer. No, I'm going to leave. And I feel you could have swapped almost any of those characters into the I'm staying and I'm going, yeah. apart from apart from her second in command, who you're like, yeah, she's definitely going. I feel I could have swapped any of the other characters out and not known if they were staying or going. Yeah. And I would have preferred to maybe have had that as more of a clearer through line mm. from this season. Oh, no, I was just going to say there were a couple of people. There was the one kid who had a very 80s new wave haircut who through twitter i found out his name was bertold i would not have known this um but i found the actor's twitter and so that guy kind of has like a visible journey he starts off very kind of closed off and like you don't really know what he's thinking and then towards the end when he's like nope i'm gonna go i'm gonna go to marco you could you could see that guy kind of having that everybody else yeah (laughs) also yeah like like you chris like what were their names why did they make the choices they made? I don't know. They had the one cute scene where they kind of drink water from zero gravity and it's kind of cute and beltery and lovely. Uh, but apart from that, like, yeah, do we do we get to know any of these people really? Yeah. I do honestly think that you're being a bit harsh with the show here in this sense. On the assumption I make, one assumption myself, which is that we do want to see the split into several different mini-shows. You know, if we say that we, we're happy to split the party, to use a gaming term, then I think we're being a bit harsh because there is just no way on this planet you can get that kind of backstory and that kind of detail at that time. I mean, what we could have done is if we'd have had more time with any of those people is flesh all of them out more. And for me, there's a, there's a level that I need to get to there's a level below which the person is simply a mouthpiece for a sledgehammer plot point. And then above that level, they have enough character that you can recognize what plot point they're giving you as a real human plot point that you would feel yourself if you were in that situation. So below that line for me was the general. War is something that war people want because war is war and we must have war. Mm -hmm. And that's all he could really say. And it almost felt like a change of character because the plot needed him to be the guy who said, launch the nukes. And that's all he could do at that point. So it was almost like a betrayal of his character. And whereas I can see that being something that was in the media, I I could see people rioting on planet Earth wanting revenge i could see loads of that happening putting it into one mouthpiece and getting rid of all the rest of the characteristics to me it was below that line it was just plot needs you to say this can you just get out there and say Mm. it please whereas if you go to the crew kamina's crew for me they were above that line because they all had their moment to speak they were no you were never going to get the background because there's just not enough time but there was the girl who was just afraid and i only say girl because she did really come across as a child in that scene where she is really afraid and she really wants somebody to come up and tell her it's going to be okay and that's not going to happen and that's tragic so yes she is a little bit of a mouthpiece of a plot but i say it's above the line because you can feel that that's a realistic emotion in that setup and some of the rest of the people around there all in that crew they have that similar sort of 
this is what I'm feeling, and you would feel it too if you were here. So demanding that they all have a background and so on, I, th I think it's just too much. And the only way to solve it is, as you've already said, what we need to do is give them more time. So mm. if we're going to agree that in, in order to enjoy this, you needed to give them more time, then that is something I can't, I can't defeat that because that is just going to be true. But given if we say that they can't have any more time, I, I think the crew honestly made it above that line for me. I emotionally connected with them. Even in their brief detail, even though they were only to give me a point, I, I emotionally connected them in a way I couldn't connect with the general because I thought he, he just had plot force written on his forehead, you know, <laughs> um, whereas yes. the other ones were a bit more emotional. And, and that's the reason why I think the terrorist was a bit was a bit was okay for me because you had marco's crew and again i feel so, i've been i've been googling furiously while you've been talking to try and get their names but i can't do it but the two people that naomi meets when she she finds them in the bar they're both her old friends one of them is a terrorist who is the angry woman and the other one is her old friend who's coming along because he kind of believes and he's but he's really actually sort of supposed to be a bit of a nice guy but neither of them are necessarily well developed but they give you those parts of Inaris's crew that you need to see she's the zealot she is the person who is going to see earth burn he's the guy that you might be able to still talk to and possibly persuade that again and I totally agree their backgrounds are not developed but I think they give you the emotion of the moment to the extent that you think, I totally believe that you guys exist. I totally believe that there is somebody who will watch people burn and I emotionally connect, again, in a way that I couldn't connect with, with the general. So I, I think we're being a bit harsh because I think they were as good as they could be without giving them a lot more time, which would, of course, be the best solution. Yeah, it may be a bit nitpicky. Uh, I'm not going to disagree with you there. I would argue the man who was Naomi's friend, I would say he was pretty well developed. In the very brief time we spent with him, we got a sense of why he's following Marco, why he betrayed Naomi all those years ago, the guilt he's been carrying through this time, and all of that. Like I think that came across did we get a full-fledged life story? No, but you don't need that. I don't feel like we got the same for the woman, that's all. Is it nitpicky? For sure. The season achieves so much in terms of telling us several different stories at the same time. I'm, I'm just kind of remembering, like, sitting there with my partner watching, and every time the angry woman would be on screen would be like, anything, anything other than you being angry. No, okay, okay, fine. We're just, we're just <laughs> still hitting this one note. Okay, fine. Nothing else. All right. That's all. But in terms of like, just overall, like, yeah, the, they do, they do achieve that emotional connection. I do agree with you there. With Corral, I don't think she was too one dimensional. I think when you compare her and the guy who was sort of Naomi's mentor in a way in our, in our, in our sort of technical background, it was sort of two sides of, of that same feeling. He almost was happy to forgive her in a way for leaving it almost understands why she got to the point that she did, whereas Corral doesn't. Corral just sees it as pure betrayal. And the fact that she's now a crew member on a ship, a joint owner of a ship with a Martian and then a couple of Earthers, she sees that as a, a complete betrayal. Whereas he, he seems more willing to forgive because you get the, that contrast in scenes when they're in the sort of mess hall on, on Marco's ship. And I think that kind of scene really fleshed out those characters for me 
a little bit. Your your mention of the general there, because you mentioned the general a couple of times up on Luna, it did seem like that character completely flipped. It was a separate character after Marco's attack. It seemed like it almost should have been a different admiral or general who's come to Luna and now wants revenge rather than the person that Avasarala has been working with from the beginning. Mm. It seems like two completely different people, and I don't know whether that was a casting thing, but they're like, well, we've already got this character in it, so let's let's reuse the same character. You know, we don't want to hire someone else in. But then they had an entire room of advisors there uh, when the new Secretary General was choosing whether he was going to attack a station full of potential innocents or a lot of innocent lives or not. It seemed a bit odd to suddenly put him against Avasarala, but maybe it was to make her seem more outnumbered in that meeting or not. Our advisor, our trusted advisor at that point, has sort of flipped sides on her. I think you've already hit it with the simpler thing with, with what we've already said. There's not enough time. You can get mm. your plot points over, there's not enough time. So this guy, sorry, I've been calling him General. I have to apologise to everybody for screwing all of this up. So right, I'm here <laughs> with my research. I'm doing my research on the moment. I should be fired, of course, but Admiral Delgado is his name. He's on the scene, and you, you can put over to another character and bring another character in, but then all of a sudden, Admiral Delgado has no plot need. He doesn't need to be there, and you've got minutes at best in the script to get your point over. So I think it's brutally, Admiral Delgado is the soldier and therefore must be the soldier in this scene. Or you've got to not pay this guy and kick him out of the plot because he's in the way. As you say, you could put him on the side standing behind Devasarala, but then, as you say, she's not vulnerable anymore. So he's in the way. So he has to, for the plot force, suddenly become evil. And it, it's just so grating. But unless they just killed that character in the asteroid hit on Earth, he's always <laughs> going to be in the way. And maybe all of this comes down to a singular point. You can't split the party this hard because you will not get through all your plot points. Because the Expanse has always had that jumping between Earth and Mars and the Rossinati crew, you know, where it's where it sort of leapt around a little bit to try and cover all the different stories. And yeah, sometimes it does it more effectively than others. Because we've touched quickly on Avasarala there. Kat, what did you think of her plot line this season? It's absolutely an improvement to her season four plotline, um, <laughs> which I know from perusing the internet because I haven't read the books that far in, I know that's not her story in book four. So it absolutely is an adaptation issue. But this season, I mean, we finally get to see her like properly be a leader and make those choices and be that person who uses her resources and the people that she knows to achieve that goal of saving her everyone's just like oh like we don't trust you and it's like she never wanted anything bad for any of y'all you need to chill and so she finally like gets to prove all of my decades of diplomacy and like the people that i've met and that i've gotten to know like even in these last few years it means something and it's all coming together i will agree that delgado and the transport the transport secretary who becomes <laughs> un president for a hot <laughs> minute um you know like it was it was an interesting brief journey into that seat of power i really appreciated the the transport guy you know he only got into politics because he didn't think that 
the the incumbent was doing a good job and he was like, nah, fuck that. I'm going to run against him. And, you know, just kind of that grassroots politics. I just want to like help people make a change and make things better. And then just being saddled with this literal cosmic amount of responsibility on his shoulders. It's a lot for anybody. It's, I, I think he kind of does a good job in the short space of time that we spend with him. Interesting parallel of Evasarala quitting the council in the same way that Admiral Souther had quit the council in season one. I think it was season mm. one or maybe season two. Whenever um, Eros was hurtling towards Earth and they were like, we should shoot it or like, whatever, you know, let's shoot Mars. Let's destroy their base. He was like, no, I'm going to leave. I can't be part of this because they were polar opposites then. Right. And just to see her actually get up from that table and be like, I will not contribute to you like shooting down an entire Belter station. We're not doing that. Um, wow. <laughs> um, just th that was a very, very interesting moment for her kind of like, like absolutely changing right from, from early, early, like season one and two, like that was that if it feels like a lifetime ago now, um, in terms of how her character has come forward. Uh, it's, I like how they play, they play out her grief with her husband, who's never properly confirmed dead, but like we know. And, Quite frankly, that's okay with me. Because um, if I don't have to see that actor ever again, ever again, <laughs> he was awful. Jesus Christ. Um, I, rest in peace, Arjun number one. That's all I have to say. My goodness. Um, so I, I like how she processes her grief through, like, you know, I, A, I don't have time for this, but B, it hurts me. And it hurts me that I left things like this with my husband before this terrible thing just happened. And, like, who could have predicted it? So that was really cool. And just, yeah, like, watching that one episode where the meteors hit Earth and just seeing that all play out and Avasarala just in the middle of it, absolutely, like, scrambling the... Secretary General's just died. Like, what the hell? What a thrilling ride, I have to say. Like, th that episode and, like, the the one or two, like, before and after it. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, because I so didn't know. the tension as that was building up. Oh, man. Because I didn't know, right? I haven't read the books. I, I have purposefully left it so that I don't keep comparing because I did that with Game mm. of Thrones and I found myself just being like, what? That doesn't happen like this. Why did they do that? <laughs> and so I was just like, listen, I'm just going to watch the show and then I'm going to keep reading because I've, I've read only book one so far. But, but you know, like I'm not averse to like a vague spoiler of, okay, so like this doesn't happen here or like it doesn't happen like this. So I'm kind of vaguely aware of some stuff it was very good going into this blind and not knowing where all of this terrorism plot was going to go. I had just such a good time watching it. Like, I, <laughs> Queen Avasarala forever and ever. I'm just, <laughs> you know, happy she's finally in a position of power that's earned. And it feels earned at this stage. We know that she's dependable and that she absolutely is ruthless too. And she'll do what it takes to protect and ensure Earth's survival and all of that, but also she has a heart. And so going into 
well, quite literally the unknown at this point with them all in the bar and just being like, right, okay, we're going to come together and we're going to figure this out. You know, they can. And it's great. <laughs> she gets a couple of great speeches in this. She season. really does. Yeah. <laughs> Avasarala, the speechwriter. Well done. She gets the, the her moment in the the sort of command room where they're discussing destroying Palace Station and her speech about, of course I want revenge. I want revenge on that man and I want to punish him as much as possible, but I do not want to punish innocents and I do not want to send more people to his cause. It's a fantastic speech, really, really well written. And then her lines at the end of this season of this is exactly what Marco doesn't want to have is Belter's Erfers and Martians working together and cooperating because it completely destroys what he's talking about and it shows that this can be accomplished. I think those were sort of great messages for her to have through the season. Yeah, it ultimately, I think, is the backbone of the show is that cooperation and that. I mean, it's encapsulated in the Rocinante crew of seeing Earthers, Belters and Martians working together in one team. You know, we know it can be done, not without struggle. (laughs) It just absolutely feels like all the several threads that have been building through seasons one to four come together in a really satisfying way in five. And with Avasarala kind of in the crux, I'm, I love her a lot. She's such a well-performed character and has been like one of my favorite things to see going from the books to screen mm. is seeing what they've done with Avasarala. Like I say, it was disappointing last season because I enjoy the character so much. When I sort of saw last season, I was like, oh, okay, mm. not, not so much. But getting to see her interact with Amos this season, there was another bit that I was looking forward to that didn't happen. <laughs> it didn't happen at the end of the season. And I was like, no, I wanted to see that scene. But anyway, but yeah, getting to see her interact with Amos at the beginning of the season on his way to Earth, that sort of conversation going, if you get into trouble, I'm not going to bail you out. What are you here to do? Yeah. Are you here to cause me grief? Or are you going to be nice and quiet and keep yourself out of the way? That is a, a starter for me, Mark. The only thing I was thinking when you were talking was that she probably could have had centre stage more because of what they did with the new UN guy, the Minister of Just in Time. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> he had a good speech too. His first speech was really good. And his first mm. speech turns out and says... I'm someone who is going to step up and I'm going to be able to make the decisions. And even though I'm, I don't really know what I'm doing, I've got the strength of character to resist the nonsense. And then he says, we're not going to, we're not going to bomb civilians here. And then he randomly changes his mind at the appropriate point in the end. So Avasarala can have her best speech. And I thought, oh, so you've just wasted that character as well. So uh, n- nothing against Avasarala. Everything you said is right. She has been mm. really well done in all of this. My only complaint is I think the backdrop that she was against was drivel, unfortunately. So she didn't get to shine properly and outshine some really good players. If you're sitting at the poker table and you destroy three newbies, do you really feel that good? You know, not that there's a competition here to be head of the UN, but she's totally <laughs> capable because she's that good. She could have outpoliticked a whole bunch of really good politicians. But we kind of didn't get to see it because she's raised up by a collection of other admirals and generals, one of which turns up and goes, yeah, those guys are idiots. Do you mind if we join your team? So she's kind of handed it. And so she she's great. She has a good speeches. But I think, again, I might have liked her to have more time because I would have liked to have seen her outwitting 
all of these idiots. And it, that can only be satisfying if they were also good. But it doesn't detract from her. But she could have shone even brighter. Can you imagine if she'd have gone around and outwitted a bunch of really capable people and saved the planet from their own stupidity? That would have been even more amazing, you know. So, it, yeah. so yeah, she was great. Would have liked to have seen more of her in that more challenging environment. But, yeah, it doesn't detract from her at all. Yeah, it was sort of seeing her going from almost powerless at the beginning, yeah. stuck in her, her little outpost, sort of working on immigration to the beyond the ring kind of thing that she's working on. Yeah. She's been put in that little office on the moon, out of the way, where no one can see her and she's not interacting with anyone. Gao has went, do you know what, put her up there, out the way, give her a little token posting so that I, you know, I can say that I'm, I'm keeping her on for her to you know her sage advice but actually i've sent her off to the moon so that i don't need to deal with anything you know mm. keep her out of harm's way and i thought it was interesting seeing her go from that to the end of the season where she's back in power again i mean she's you know declared martial law i kind of agree with you the transport secretary you have kind of hopes for character because i thought they were maybe going to do a slightly different thing where it's like okay avasarala isn't going to become secretary general again they're going to use this guy and and sort of do a slightly different slant on the story, yeah. a bit like they did the, the season before. But, you know, by the end, Avasarala is back in there again. That character seemed very easy to manipulate. She could have said anything to him when he was in that meeting. Yes, yes, of course, I'll do this as well. Oh, and you should also do that. Yeah, okay, okay, I'll do that. And obviously other people got there and got their influential voices to him before her. Can you imagine the plot line, though, where, say, he's, the, he's actually not very good. And he's constantly being swayed backwards and forwards. And Avasarala's sort of stepping up going, I can totally do this job. And everybody around is going, yeah, you, we, we kind of know, but most of, half of us don't like you. And what she ends up having to do is manipulate this guy and in order to get what she knows is the right thing done. But mm-hmm. she, she cannot step into the role. There's her block. She can do the job, but she's not allowed it. So she actually has to do some horrible manipulation to get this guy to do the right thing because he's just not capable. And it would have been nice to see her in a challenge like that. I'm not going to hand you the UN. You somehow have to lead the entirety of the Earth forces and politicians by being in that cupboard over there. Can you do it? (laughs) Guess what? Yes, she can. Even handcuffed in a cupboard, in a prison cell, not allowed any food, she can still run the UN, you know, from there, because she's <laughs> just that good. It would have taken more time, but it would have been even more powerful th- than what we've got. Tied up in the cupboard and with the number of your personal chef. So and I'm still better than all of you. you I'm still running this place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just a reminder. She just one phone number. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I thought that was such a boss move. Such yeah. a boss move, being like, oh, yeah, you know who won't have me blocked? <laughs> the chef. <laughs> Excellent. I could call all the aides, all the, all the other politicians, all the generals. I could call any of them. They're all ignoring me. Who do I call? I'll call the chef in the galley <laughs> and get him to walk through with this on the table. Perfect. And it worked. Very it nice just, move. Oh. Man, genius! Like 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 Aaron says, more more of more of that more rolling that, yeah. through a season would have been very interesting. But yeah, that, those scenes in particular, seeing it was at UN one, it was called. I'm trying to think of what it was called. The 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 craft, the Secretary General's craft. Seeing that that particular scene when that asteroid comes down and hit was 
just incredible to watch, and I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about the special effects in this season a little bit later on. I realise that <laughs> we're going very, very, very in-depth on this episode, and we've not even touched on Earth and the surface yet. I, I suppose we, we talked about it right at the beginning. Let's talk about Amos. Let's let's talk about actual down to earth, or should I call him Timmy? Are we no, are we sticking with Amos, or are I we moving think to Amos Timmy? Amos is fine. It's the whole point was that he got a second chance and got to reinvent himself and leave his past as Timmy. So you know, in a way, it's it's like a dead name. You know, like he's not that person anymore. He isn't Timmy anymore, and that's kind of all there is to it. But it's interesting how wordlessly we get that storyline because we don't really get walked through what happened to him but it's enough that we know it's been peppered through the show enough in small tiny little details you know him knowing how to walk in pumps and being like i didn't always work in space which was a cute and hilarious moment at the time but now it's just like oh god kid has been through some shit and leaving was difficult the fact that he did it like wow and how difficult it was to go back like i said earlier it's just like amos the movie (laughs) we're here for this like (laughs) gritty crime story with like mobsters and prostitution and vague sci-fi elements but also just like gritty despair that's very much just normal life For a lot of people and for a large portion of the world, I want to see supercuts. I want to see people edit all of his bits together into like one feature length thing or, you know, all of Naomi's thing like on the Tsetsemoka and like all of that. Oof, that's what I live for. <laughs> please, internet world, whoever's out there listening right now, please do this for me. Thank you. I really enjoyed spending quality time getting to know Amos as a combination of who he's become, but also traces of who he was. And we see that a little bit in his relationship with Eric, who's the guy who got him the Amos ID and has been running Baltimore basically the entire time he's gone. A very interesting dynamic there. Side note, I'm very sad about the bottle of expensive whiskey. (laughs) (laughs) Whenever he couldn't get the bag back from the prison and I was like, oh God, so you mean he's lost the expensive whiskey and the little handmade mug that he made as a kid? That's really sad. I just, oh, and like they walk through the through the snowy wilderness and they get involved in all sorts of hijinks and post-apocalyptic tribalist, you know. <laughs> and the whole time I was just like, I just really hope he gets that mug back. <laughs> and I hope he did because like, I think it's implied that he got the bottle of whiskey. So it's implied that he probably got the mug back, and honestly, I'm I'm just I'm just happy he got the mug back. Did he find the whiskey on board the the shuttle, the escape shuttle? I'm trying to remember where he did he find a second bottle of whiskey. Oh, maybe because or is uh, that the original bottle of whiskey? Oh, a good question. It's probably not the original bottle of whiskey, is it? Hmm. Because it's it's on. I mean, Luna. I still like that he didn't get. Yeah. He didn't get his final drink of it though. No, <laughs> it was gone. Yeah, because that that got. But it looked like the same kind of whiskey. So if it was on the shuttle, wow. <laughs> that's that's great uh symmetrical cyclical nature of like symbolism there i thought he took it from the um from his friend's house when they finally agree they're gonna go to yeah. the moon 
he, ah, he, right. Is that they, what he gets? They, have, they share a bit early on, mm. and that's what he's going for right when they meet. And then he gets told to clear off and never come back. Yeah. But, of course, he's Amos, so he comes back. Mm. And they agree they're going to go to the moon. And on the way out of this agreement, it's almost like, and I'm taking this because I'm Amos. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> but because it, it was in the backpack and, like, here's – Right. So here's something I noticed at the beginning is that his backpack was Murtry's backpack from season four, the bad guy. <laughs> wow. And it was Murtry's backpack that he has scratched off Murtry and just written Amos on it. <laughs> and that's his backpack now, which just makes me very happy. <laughs> <laughs> so he stuffs that bottle of whiskey that he takes from Eric's desk and the yellow clay mug that he made as a kid that says Timmy on it. He stuffs them both into that backpack, but then as they break out of the prison after the meteor hits, the backpack is somewhere else. It's held in some locker or something at that prison. As they are walking through the wilderness, he doesn't have that bag. And so the entire time, <laughs> the whole season, I was just like, I just really hope that they manage to get that stuff back. Because like, especially the backpack, like that's that's just some really good... <laughs> you know mm. like easter eggy <laughs> i'm not sure there's much hope for the cup i'm afraid but I th i'm sure there's a second but doesn't he take a second bottle because they go back to his friends to arrange the moon trip mm, i don't know and on the way on the way up the stairs they do a shot of uh like a case full of bottles oh. and i can't remember if it was in that but yeah, yeah. i don't oh, think maybe. there's any hope for the cup oh, i'm afraid but i'm pretty sure the whiskey is transferable okay oh man so then he doesn't have the backpack it would be lovely to see him have it yeah, yeah. i don't know they wouldn't allow that him to take it in. no <laughs> It was just such a cool thing. Like, yeah. he beat the shit out of Murtry at the end, and he took his f backpack. <laughs> I just, <laughs> there's something, like, very satisfying about it. You know, just like, he her. <laughs> You're a dumbass. I'm going to take your stuff. <laughs> Keep him locked up yeah. for the entire trip back to Earth, and then as, like, a final insult, tip all his stuff out of his backpack and take I'm his backpack. Keep your backpack. Off him. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. Hmm. Uh, I, I do like the show's attention to detail with things like that. They do mm. a very good job of like just keeping everything like very consistent and always referring back to things that have happened. I think their continuity and like props team is exceptional. They just nail it. You could have just had him have like a normal backpack, but there's something chef's kiss about it being like Murtry's backpack, you know? If you want, there is a video, and I will try and remember to put it in the show notes. Aaron will remind me later. If I've not done it, it's Aaron's fault, everyone. Sure. There's a very good video of a behind-the-scenes of The Expanse where they talk about different people that work on the program, mm. and one of the people is the the set designer, the prop designer, who comes up with all of the fake logos and companies that operate in The Expanse. So the person that came up with sort of pure and clean and all the packaging and the boxes and stuff oh, that... Yeah you know, the fast food and the takeout containers mm. and all these different things that get made for the show. And it's a really interesting interview. So if you get the chance, watch that, because no doubt they were somehow involved in Amos's tequila or whiskey, whatever <laughs> it was, that he was carrying about for the entire season. I was really interested in seeing Baltimore mm. on Earth because up until now, all we've seen are New York, where it's very high-rise and built. We've seen Holden's place in the country, where there's no one around, really. But we've never seen th where the other half live. Yeah. 
for want of a better term. We've seen a little bit of Clarissa's life in the in sort of flashback scenes that they did with her. We've seen a lot of Avasarala and High Rises in the UN. We've seen a bit of Mars, but we haven't seen the rest of Earth. And seeing somewhere like Baltimore where, oh, okay, it had that science fiction thing. There was the adverts on top of buildings, but run down desolate and you can you can see how the things they did with nancy gow in the previous season where people want to work and people want to get off earth why because look at the situation that people are in and i thought that it was it was interesting finally getting to see that in the show absolutely we did get a bit of a taster um when bobby first visited earth and Mm. she kind of she kind of ran away from the um, embassy and finds herself in these tunnels where a lot of people are just squatting because they have nowhere to go and she comes across this person who gives her directions to the ocean in exchange for osteoporosis pills or bone density pills and you know obviously from a martian's perspective i thought you guys had it handed to you i thought you had all the resources and all the food and all the you have free air, you have water, like what else could you want? We live in domes, we can't even go outside. And you have everything. And then she sees that they don't have everything. They have nothing, pretty much. The guy the guy she talks to says he's 52 and he's still waiting for an education slot to come up. So instead he deals in drugs in the alleyways. So we got a little bit of that, which I think was the first time but because we saw it from Bobby's perspective, really, it wasn't really like like a lived-in perspective, right? But this time, absolutely, we see people just living their lives and the things they have to do to live those lives in just post-scarcity, but also, like, there's just so many of us. And, like, yeah, we have universal basic assistance, but there's just not enough opportunity because there's so many of us and the problems that that creates while nancy gao like has a point at the same time of being like no you don't just want to go through those gates you don't know what's on the other side like we might all die <laughs> it's also quite interesting that like in doing so in spending time in baltimore that portion of the show at least is kind of in the same way that every season kind of has like a new subgenre element to it season one was definitely a a detective mystery season two kind of has like a military situation right with with caliban and so on you know season four is the western and then season five we get part of the stories this criminal underbelly gritty like oh i love i love it (laughs) it's so good uh and it's so well done in kind of rooting it in a sense of reality with enough sci-fi elements, you know, you see those hovering cars here and there. You see, you know, kind of like ads that are holographic and obviously, you know, like the way people dress and like the interior design mm. and like Eric's house and all that. But just from perspective of like Amos walking down the road, it feels real enough that it's not so far removed from now. So you can see yourself walking in that street, maybe. But Mm. then you get a reminder with those hovering cars that it's like, oh, no, no, this is, you know, three, four hundred years in the future where we have all those things. 
It was the occasional rocket launch that would get me. Every once in a while, just in the background of the shot, you would see a light sort of shooting up at the sky. You're like, oh, yeah, because rockets are like a regular thing. (laughs) Not like now where it's like, oh, we've got to go along and see the next shuttle launch and it's it's only happening from sort of Cape Kennedy. That's the only chance that you're going to get to see it or somewhere in Russia. You know, it's like, oh, no, this is actually a regular occurrence that just... It's like watching an aeroplane take off. It's like everyone's used to seeing it kind of thing, which I thought was was really interesting. Uh, Aaron, did you enjoy the the, the sort of Baltimore element? Yeah, definitely, for for all the reasons you've mentioned and also possibly for the subtlety of it. Like, as, as you say, you see the rocket launch, which is your indication that there is technology here. You see the cars that Kat mentions that is the technology here, but importantly, not everybody else has it it's it's not over the top like a back to the future to sort of say everything is now suddenly more advanced than it was you know there was there was that progression that you could imagine that it had come from today's technology where some things have advanced and but we we still live in the same brick buildings with glass so i think it was done to a nice proper realist as everything is an expense they've tried to put a lot of effort into the realism and, and that did come across for me amos while he's uh He's closing up shop, starting out his life in Baltimore, putting an end to that chapter of his life, decides that he's going to visit Clarissa Mao. Now, I, I've always found this a bit of an odd an odd pairing to be matched up. But as you sort of see it unfold on screen, I don't know, maybe it's starting to make a bit more sense to me that he wants to, he feels that he's been redeemed himself and he's now trying to redeem and save someone else, give Clarissa what he's had, potentially. That moment where he, he explains to Prax his worldview, that there's three kinds of people in the world, the ones you follow, the ones that you protect, and then bad ones. That's it. And so I always think of that whenever he has like a meaningful interaction with people. There's a couple of moments with Clarissa in particular in this season where, you know, he kind of looks at her like, I don't know what kind of person you are. Do I protect you? I certainly, you're certainly not one to follow. You're crazy. Are you one to be protected or are you bad like me? Because he doesn't see himself as a good person. And so just that crucial kind of like worldview coming kind of full circle when Clarissa protects, I mean, you know, because she has literally killed a person with her bare hands. <laughs> um, and he's like, wait, what the hell? <laughs> you didn't have to do that. Um, that was scary also. Wow. And like he normally doesn't necessarily like skip a beat if he has to kill a person. He doesn't really care. But in that moment, he's like, oh, God, why'd you do that? That's a lot. But then later when they're at the um, rich people's house and the winter staff come along and they say you know we have nowhere to go please help us get off this island and she's like we're not leaving unless we can help them and he looks at her the way he looked at anna on that earth ship uh in season four four you know they're trying to protect anna while she's filibustering for lack of a better word and they're trying to like save everybody within the ring space because he has a moment with Anna then that he looks at her and he's like, I will not let anyone hurt you. I won't let anything happen to you because he knows she's a good person that needs to be protected. And so he kind of like has a moment when Clarissa is being protective of those people. And he's like, 
oh, okay, like there's goodness in you. I see it. A very interesting, perhaps equitable relationship between them, which is very new, I think, for Amos to have someone who's kind of on an equal level of you're kind of a rotten egg, but maybe there's something within you that's worthwhile because he's always trying to find that worthwhile bit of himself. I think that is his journey. He's trying to reconcile what he's had to do and what he's had to grow up with, with what a good person is. And we get a bit of that in like his backstory with the woman who raised him, Lydia. Again, like it's just done, it's it's done in such a subtle way that you don't get spoon fed it, but it builds up. And because I guess, you know, because it's all kind of fresher in my mind, because I recently rewatched the entire show, it comes together so well in his story here. As much as like, I mean, you know, Lesser Mao is Lesser Mao. She's okay. But he sees something in her and that kind of makes me willing to see something in her too, if that makes sense. I don't think that I cared about her very much during season four. I was just kind of like, okay, she's trying to kill Holden. She'll have a redeeming moment where she doesn't kill Holden. She does that. Okay, fine. Can we stop with the mouse now? Thank you. <laughs> but it's interesting. Her journey is actually kind of interesting. I don't hate it as much as I thought I would. Let's let's just say that because I'm just like, why are we why are we here with the mouse again? You know, <laughs> can we not? <laughs> Where's her dad now? What's he doing? Is he in prison? I hope he's in prison. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those ones where you go, hang on, hang on. Where's where's the actual dad? Where's the actual bad guy gone? <laughs> where's where's he gone? Yeah. What's he done? It was really interesting to see her brought back again. And I kind of get what you were saying about bringing up Mao's every season as a villain. We're going to have the cousin twice removed who's going to pop up in another season. And now it's my turn for revenge. <laughs> you know, you don't you don't really want that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it, every once in a while, the program reminds you that it's a TV show and something <laughs> like that happens where another character pops up and goes right i'm here for revenge now because it's my t like you know, was saying earlier on it's my turn to be the villain now you know <laughs> i mean it's the skywalker and palpatine problem yeah. <laughs> you know it's just like exactly. it's always about skywalkers and palpatines it turns out you know Space like we just is different it doesn't play the same rules <laughs> so the, the expanse is not trying to be space opera but star wars is i think that's the difference. well mm. i don't know i've seen recently i've seen the expanse be called a space opera and i've oh, yeah. yeah and i've been and by you know people People within the science fiction genre, you know, like uh, Charlie Jane Anders, I think, wrote an article. I'll link it for you in the show notes. She wrote an article about how The Expanse is redefining the space opera. And reading that, I was like, is it? God, because like Star Wars is a space mm. opera and it absolutely like it's the definition. It's what started the genre. I would argue The Expanse is not a space opera because it's a bit more, well, a bit, 10 times more nuanced <laughs> than anything that I've ever seen in the space opera genre. And not to say that I don't like, I love space operas, but they very much are an emotional journey of the one group of people and everyone has to be related and all of that because it's a soap opera in space. Mm. And I don't think that The Expanse has had that historically, which is kind of why also, you know, the Naomi, Marco, Philip subplot 
rings a little bit like, oh man, did it have to be her ex-boyfriend? <laughs> does, the, does the big bad terrorist have to be related to one of our main characters? And at the beginning of all that, you know, I was a bit like, I don't know that I love that. You know, nobody else so far has been related to these people on a personal level. So I think here perhaps is where that space opera element does come in a little bit. One with the mouse and one with Marco and Philip and that whole family subplot. At least with Larissa, it's Amos's choice. It's not mm. just, oh, look, who's turned up on the dock? Shall we invite her on board? Yeah, go on, then there's nobody else here. It's, you know, he, he actively goes to find her. And I think one of the reasons that I didn't really worry about her being a Mao was because of that. I, I kind of assumed that he was remembering his yeah so there's the mother figure taught amos how to survive in a morally dubious landscape and it feels like amos is now at the point in his development whereby he is going to move from student to mentor so hey clarissa i feel like you're about to have to survive in a morally dubious setup background i've learned about this let me help you. So he's moved on from somebody who is just struggling to learn about where he is and what he needs to do. And, and he's going to share that knowledge. So he, he's developed on in that way. So if he's choosing to become that mentor, I'm thinking she's pretty much a good person to pick. I mean, it, tell, tell me somebody else who could fulfill that role. And I'd have to say, fair enough, you know, I don't know who else currently fills that need, which, which, which seemed important to him. At mm -hmm. that point, yeah, I completely agree with that. I think, uh, and it, it's interesting to see him take on a mentor role. Yes, <laughs> yeah, because so far I don't think he he even he saw himself as capable of that. And who else could be that person of the of the roster of characters we have? Why peaches though? That's the bit I never quite followed. Or was or is am I not supposed to draw anything from that? Maybe Chris can tell us because I think there's a whole thing in the book. Maybe uh -huh. like end of book four. There's a whole like trip. I mean, not book four, book three. Maybe uh, whenever they have a trip back from from the ring and like they bring her back. And they kind of bond during that trip. Is that is that what happens, Chris? Yeah, it's sort of in the, in the trip back because she's a trained engineer. She ends up helping Amos out with stuff, and that's how they kind of form a bit more of a bond, or at least that's how it's sort of written in the book. Okay. The nickname Peaches, you're now really testing my memory. <laughs> I would need to Google it. I would really need to Google it. It's no, so it's, long ago that I read no, the book. It's, it's not. It's not important. I just wondered if if it really went to tell you why. Or how he was being her mentor, you know, because that was something his his mother did in front of him, you know, and, and he was trying mm. to call on, I assumed he was trying to call on a lesson that his mother figure had passed on, and he was trying to pass it on, but Amos isn't going to be the one to, let me explain to you the, the theory behind this <laughs> psychological method, methodology, you know, he's not going to do that, but I just wondered if there was one in there. Um, but yeah, I, I can Google that myself, so... Homework for me. I think it's a lot of Amos wanting to save someone else like he has been saved himself mm. by sort of other guiding forces in his life. The way that we see him from season one where he's kind of following Naomi yes. at the beginning. She is his conscience sort of guiding him a bit. And that shifts to Holden. You know, Holden is then sort of directing him and, and keeping him in check. And yeah. uh, he feels that he's atoned for some of the stuff 
that he has done by getting guided along by these individuals, and then he wants to give that same thing to Clarissa. Mm. Sort of after working with her on the ship and getting to know her a little bit better, I think he sees a lot of how dangerous and how deadly his own path could have went had he not been sort of steered in another direction. Mm. And I think that's why he he ends up engaging in her more. I mean, obviously, when he goes to visit her in the prison, it is just to visit her in prison. The the the, the intention at that first bit there yeah. is not I'm going to go and break you out of jail. That's no. not the, no. you know that's not the mission that he sets off at the beginning. And you know, if events had taken a different turn, she still would have been in there. He he visited. I think he wanted to be able to take her away from the place. You know, you see when he's looking around, you know, I don't even think he wants to be there himself. I was okay with that. I didn't, didn't, again, he picks her, but it might have been his original plan was just to go and give her a pep talk. And that's what a mentor would do. He thought it was going to be a one-shot mentorship, but that would hmm. be a good thing for him to do. So I, I don't, I think that still fits in with that. He didn't need to have an aim to be there, a mentor forever, but then he got lumped with that. Well, that's a bit harsh. He chose (laughs) to carry on to that later when it turned out she was going to be with him. The whole story of getting back off the earth, I just thought was really well done as well, surviving that post-apocalypse world and also trying to do that while not being picked up by anyone. If he had managed to get a communications channel up to someone like Avasarala, he could have got himself picked up and out of there pretty quick if he had made contact. But he didn't want to leave Clarissa behind. He mm. didn't want to leave her there. They come up with a plan where they could both potentially get out. We've talked about Amos. We've talked about Clarissa and her journey. We've talked about Avasarala. We've talked about Drummer. Let's talk about Naomi, who, like I said earlier on, had just torture that she has been through this season emotionally and physically what she has been through this season like i said a little bit earlier that she was very personally involved in this big terrorism plot i was just kind of like i don't know like i'm obviously gonna wait and see but straight off the bat i don't know that i love that the big terrorist is her ex but at the same time i think it finally gave resolution to a lot of stuff that has been teased for Naomi over the years that we never really kind of got into properly. She would kind of keep hinting about, oh, well, I don't run with idealists anymore. I've been burned. I don't like that you're being like this right now. Or like, you know, I'm not with the OPA because I have been and like, that shit's not for me. So like, goodbye. But we never really got to see or know from like a lived in perspective of like, why why she felt the way she did about, say, giving stuff to Fred Johnson, you know, just being like, well, the the belt should have something and all of that, but then still kind of claiming that she doesn't believe in that kind of like idealistic thinking anymore. It all just kind of came together and kind of solidified the fact that she has a new family. And her relationship with Holden and with the Rossi crew, that's where she is now. She's not running anymore. Something that my partner noticed as we were doing the binge watch of the rest of the show was that Naomi always ran away and that that it was just kind of something of a pattern that maybe because we were binging, but it just kind of felt a little bit too much like, oh, well, there she is. There, there she goes again. <laughs> She's off to the behemoth or she's off 
this this place or the other you know like she she leaves a couple of times that kind of back and forth was kind of like okay right but now it made sense that she's she's always been running her signing up on the canterbury was her running and then afterwards when shit hit the fan and they were the only four left from the canterbury she would leave them too that is kind of her coping mechanism when she can't deal with things she runs a very interesting character journey to be faced with the thing that that you've been running from that you can't run from anymore because it's staring you in the face and to kind of seek that kind of closure. I would be remiss if I didn't mention that her son is about five years younger than her (laughs) or some such. Uh, Bless his heart. He's a very good casting in terms of like, he looks like both Marco and Naomi. He kind of has her hair and like her eyes, but then he kind of has his nose and it's like, ooh, like actually I could believe he's your son, Eh, except he's like firmly in his mid-twenties and you're like 32. (laughs) I don't know about that. It kind of made it difficult to suspend my disbelief at the beginning, at least. (laughs) As he went on, I think his acting was pretty good. Um, He's really good in portraying the teenager. I felt it. And certainly when he was like struggling with the fact that his mom left him and what does that mean for him as his own self-worth and, you know, my own mom doesn't want to stay with me. That's some real stuff. And he does super well with the performance of that as, as the show goes on. So I found it a little less difficult to believe that he was young. And I do think that it kind of, there's a, there's a couple of moments like... They kind of go a little back and forth on whether or not she's a prisoner once too many times. They let her roam freely, and then they go, nope, you're a prisoner. And then they let her roam freely again, and then they go, nope, you're a prisoner. Um, and so it's just like, <laughs> okay, like, can we, like, decide? Because I'm not sure that we're getting much out of this, like, toing and froing. But I love seeing that reaching out to her son and being like, I know I, I missed your life, not through my fault but i missed it and i know your father and i know what he's capable of and i see that he see he's doing the same thing to you that he does to everybody else it's not you're not unique it's not you're the only person who is exempt from the marco problem um and i do think i don't know again not having read the books like there i was kind of like trying to see like oh is he going to is he going to kill his dad because he's like, you know, like I see what my mom was telling me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of, I was kind of expecting like a, some blowout to happen between him and Marco, but I can definitely see that he's becoming aware of that manipulation that Naomi talked to him about at some point, you know, Marco was kind of going off doing his Marco thing <laughs> of being like, everything's about me and I am the star of the show and I, everyone must praise me and love me and despair. And Philip kind of has a moment of looking at him being like, huh, very subtle, very, you know, just nuanced performance. But I do think that Naomi got through to him and it'll be interesting to see where that goes and whether Naomi can retain some relationship with him down the line, it, it'd be nice, I think, after, after all of that. Obviously, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, just Dominique Tipper's performance at the end of her arc, alone on the Tetsamoka, hurtling through space, 
ticking time bomb, no air, no anything, and just that belter engineer ingenuity that she's she's had throughout the show. I mean, she's always been a fixer of stuff and, you know, always had like a tendency to to work with nothing to make something. And you know, like if that's not just belter survival everything, I don't know what is. I get exactly what you were saying about the slow build up to this story where it's hinted at ages and ages and ages ago, even possibly into the first season about being with idealists, trying to get away from something that she's done in her past. And I think this is where TV shows that are based on long-running book series can do it a lot better than a TV show that's being written season to season. Even if there is a bit of a plan of what's going to happen in a season's time, there's no way that you would start a season one and start teasing something that you're not going to deploy until season five, episode four of a show. It's just not going to happen because you would look at your screen time and go, I've got to cut that line because there's no way I'm going to be able to pay this off in in five seasons time. We might not make it to season two. Whereas something that's based on a book like Game of Thrones or like The Expanse, it has that blueprint where it it can set itself off on that journey nice and early. And I, I think as much as we've talked about the potential of sort of tying in the soap feel of, of course it's someone that's related to you that's doing all this because it's all got to come back to the beginning again. I think it's teased really, really well. They never really play it out. And Marco is only introduced in the previous season. He's been talked about, but he's never been introduced. So I, I think that slow play was, was great. I'm going to have to liken Naomi's plot to what we talked about, which other, other which lessons one have heard yet, but we're going to talk about with Ahsoka in, in The Mandalorian, whereby mm. the stuff where she's alone on the ship, I really enjoyed, and it caught me by surprise at one point, where I lost my trust and I shouldn't have done, and I berated myself afterwards because I thought, what's she doing? Why is she going into there? Why should I care? And at the end you go, oh my God, that's why I should care. I should have trusted you. It's my fault. So I had that moment, and it was therefore a really good episode because it and i really enjoyed that on its own but i would have cut the whole thing from the show it was in no matter how much i liked seeing her by herself it was distracting me from the plot i wanted to see the bit where she jumps out the airlock and murders her friend from her past life in order to save her family from her new life was stunning and i just watched the credits go on and my brain wouldn't work properly and i thought i can't react to this now i'm slightly broken because it was that good it hit me that hard but then when she's on the ship again however good it was and i did think it was good i would have cut it because i was most interested in the politics one of the reasons i was into kamina and her crew was because how the everyday person's life is affected by politics and you're brought into being a soldier without meaning to and i can believe that that can happen there's the everyday politics of amos wandering through earth and what that's done to the people and what their leaders are now having to do because of this terrorist attack how do you respond do you want revenge but revenge is the wrong way to go and there, there are lots of these things that are that are playing out around that central political theme, which is so relevant to what we've always had, let alone what's going on now. It's it's a 
it's an important part of, of the human story, let alone individual story. So I, I love all that. And then you get to see somebody doing some funky stuff by herself and it doesn't have that connection. So again, no matter how good it is, it didn't connect me back in. I wanted to see her with her son and her ex. Yep, definitely a bit opera going on there where they're all related. But I wanted to see more of that because it was relevant to that plot line. And th that's the bit I was enjoying. The bit that hit me the hardest was not her coming to a victory over that brutality of being alone in space. It was the bit where she, she murdered a friend. And that's the sort of stuff I wanted to see play out with her son. I, if they go real family opera on this, then they'll go Shakespearean and Philip has to kill his own father. I don't want to see that. I think that would be going to Shakespeare for no value. You know, that would be just trying to play on a, on a real opera note because it seems like family should kill family because it's meaningful. I don't, I don't want that, but I do want to see them play around in what does the politics mean for the individual? I want to see, see more of that stuff. So I enjoyed the stuff on the ship. Sorry, I enjoyed the stuff on Marco's ship. I enjoyed the stuff with the fact that Marco was blatantly manipulating his own child. And I kind of wondered with the whole prison, let her out, put her back in, let her out, put her back in with the prison. Are you just doing that to sort of abuse her for your own amusement? I would believe it. Are you doing that to, to abusively control your own son? Look what I can do with your mother. She's in prison. She's out. I've got all the power. You lose. I build you up. I make you feel good. And then I hit you back down again and point out how you're nothing without me. So his, he has got this very successful, abusive relationship with, with all of the people around him. And it, it's not that I want to see an abuser on stage, uh, but I do want to see proof as to why this person can control everybody. If he's going to get you to slaughter millions of people on a planet, I want to know for certain that he is really good at manipulating people to get them to believe that this is a just cause, you know. And and all that building up through the sun is where you get to see how how, how Marco can control people. So really good. I was really into the politics. And then yeah, Naomi leaves that environment, and I feel like I have to leave that behind. And we're so short on time in Expanse Series 5, that it's another one of those ones that I would label liked it, would have liked to have seen more time given to it. It's sort of a running thing for this season, isn't it? It's yeah. like we'd love for it to have been a longer season because there were certain things that they just couldn't show because of time constraints. It's interesting that you say that you didn't enjoy as much of Naomi's sort of battle for survival on the ship. I found it strangely it wasn't an enjoyable watch because of what she was going through but i still think it was really good television if you get what i'm saying oh yeah i would i would completely agree with that i, I would say it was good television i'd just say that it it could have been you know cats mm. talked about let's watch the film of amos i could have watched the film of naomi you know oh yeah seeing her own show so I, I, will, I don't ever want to give the impression I thought it was bad. I thought it was really good, especially the bit, as I say, where she murders a friend. That's that's gripping viewing. But yeah, it's just that it, it's almost like two separate films. It's two separate TV shows. And, and so it gets, it gets in the way because of time constraints, not because it's not good. It's interesting because it's kind of her and Amos's story or what they're setting out to achieve at some points almost seems quite similar, where Amos is going back to Earth to sort of close a chapter of his life. Mm. And... Naomi's going back to something that she feels she's dropped and she needs to she needs to resolve, she needs to save. You know, her whole plan is 
Philip, if you're stuck on your dad's ship, don't worry. Got you your own ship. You can go your own direction. You can do entirely your own thing. This is yours to do with as you wish. You can get away from him. He's not the only one with a car. <laughs> you know, you're not stranded out here. You can now get in your own car and go wherever you want. And she tries to do that. And it just, it doesn't pan out. And it's so painful to watch that. And with Philip as well, as much as like you've said that the age difference on screen cat is, you know, it's quite, it's quite awkward what you're seeing. And Marco calls it out. Marco calls it out and goes, you're a boy who wants to talk, talk to his mum. You wants to see his mum and bring him in. That's the only reason. Why did you bring her back to the ship? The only reason that you brought her back to the ship is because you, you now want time with your mum and, and calls him out on it. And it it's not what he expects. It's not what he wants. You know, he had some idealistic vision of, you know, getting his mum back on the ship and her falling on side with Marco and it all working out. She had this vision of, I'm going to go and I'm going to give Philip a ship and he's going to go off away from Marco and do his own thing and be safe. And neither of them get what they want by the end of this. I'm with you as well, Aaron, on the scene where Naomi has finally decided that she's going out the airlock. She's going to take that extreme risk that one in a million gambit of I'm going to try and jump from this ship to the other ship in vacuum and hopefully survive at the other side with the only bit of hand wavium in that entire thing being the the sort of oxygenized chemical that she injects halfway mm-hmm. over. That's the only little bit of hand wavium that they give themselves in that scene. Mm-hmm. I was surprised that they didn't do a, you know, there's a damaged suit that she puts on or do it along those kind of lines, but doing the hard vacuum because the expanse always sort of prides itself on its science and its accuracy. And it seems like a very debatable moment to get people going, hang on a second, how does this work? You know, They admitted to that on Twitter, actually. Ty Frank, who runs the James S.A. Corey Twitter, said, you know, yeah, you know, like somebody I think said, I just can't believe that she's floating, let alone the vacuum thing. Okay, we can kind of, you know, they have autodoc robotic things that can save someone from fatal radiation poisoning. So there's something to be said about, like, maybe there is something she can inject herself with that will protect her in vacuum for, like, 10 seconds. Fine. But someone kind of clocked that, the way that she lands, the, the when she goes into the Tetsamoka, like, from the door, uh, she should have been, like, hitting the walls all over the place. And Ty Frank was like, yeah, it just looked cooler if she was floating, so <laughs> I'll admit. <laughs> you know, and it's like, okay, I mean, sometimes, personally, I'm not offended <laughs> that it wasn't, like, 100% scientifically <laughs> accurate. Because I do believe that you got to serve the story sometimes, you know, like you can't just be like, oh, well, that wouldn't happen. So like it can't because like, yeah, but that's a cool moment, though. So like, let it happen. It's fine. I mean, you know, it's no secret here on this podcast. Interstellar is my favorite movie. And it takes a very Mm -hmm. giant leap from scientific knowledge of what we know and understand right now to what it could be potentially, even some would argue in a metaphysical way in order to make a point story wise. And for me, that's perfectly fine. For a lot of hard science fiction people, it's like, no, it's not scientifically accurate. I don't want to hear about it. And I think, you know, the audience for The Expanse is kind of, I think for the most part, I would argue everybody's like, 
okay with like tiny liberties but there are a lot of like especially like the book readers who are like wait hang on a minute um (laughs) (laughs) which is fair enough but also i think i have i respect the the writers and the producers being like yeah no i mean that's it's a cool emotional moment and we're gonna have it it's fine yeah i'm I'm willing to give them so much on screen because they keep a lot of the story as grounded as the science is they're not going out of their way i mean the thing is, this is the same show that has the protomolecule in it. <laughs> this is the same show with ring gates. It's the same one, you know, right. like you say, they've got the <laughs> autodoc that's growing limbs. You lose a hand, it's regrowing you a hand, like pretty much live, building it back in the ship. So, you know, we're, we're giving so much away on, on this show. So it didn't take me completely out of it. It was just one of those ones where I was like, oh, so they're actually doing it, <laughs> you know. I thought it was just a, um, immensely powerful because I have been pushed to the point where I am willing to risk this. If I die, then I'm okay with that. If I survive, then I'm I'm at least I'm away. I'm off that ship. This is my final chance to get away. She knows it's not going to last long on there. Marco's eventually going to build up the courage to, to take her out at some point. Mm-hmm. And it's been teased enough through hearing her, the, the story of her like almost walking out of an airlock once and she then retells it to her son. So like it's teased enough, it's foreshadowed enough that that's an option. So when she heads to the airlock, Sin, who runs after her, he has like a, oh no, she's going to do it. She's been threatening to do it for like decades, you know, like maybe now is the time she walks out of an airlock. So like we're led to believe that that's why she's doing it. And it's the, the subversion of that is that, oh, no, no, I have a plan. It's a risky plan. It's probably not going to work. I'm probably going to die. It's the only way. Yeah, incredibly powerful moment. Like, I couldn't believe. And then we had to wait a week (laughs) after that. I was like, oh, God, I can't take the wait. I can't. I think that's why I'm glad that they did it uh, week by week Mm. this season, rather than releasing it as a big dump all at once. I think we wouldn't have got half the tension that we've got from this season be it the sort of knowledge that those asteroids are heading towards Earth at the beginning of the season, the Avasarala plot, we like, are they going to find out in time to save enough people? All that tension. And then all the stuff with Naomi jumping out to the ship and leaving it on that going, oh, what now? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like how, you know, what's what's left over there? What's she, what's she going to survive on? How long has she got? You just wouldn't have got that tension, I think, if it had been, oh, and, you know, as the credits are rolling, there's a little countdown in the corner going, five, four, three, two, one, right, now you can watch it. <laughs> and now find out what's happening. Yeah. We've covered a big lot of Naomi's plot uh, through this. We've covered them a little bit, but let's let's have a quick one on Marco. Getting introduced to this character. The bit about Marco that I don't quite find believable is because he's sometimes so smug in the way he acts... And the way he boasts, I don't believe someone like Marco would be able to keep his plan secret for as long as he has. <laughs> all the manipulation and all the stuff that he's done in the background to somehow acquire a Martian fleet by the end of this and stealth materials that we got teased were stolen right at the you know, right at the beginning of this right at the beginning of the show, they show you clips of stealth materials being stolen from Martian shipyards and all these things going on. And never do you turn around and think, oh, this Marco guy, he would definitely keep quiet about what he's up to. Did anyone else find that a bit of a... You know what? I hadn't considered it 
in those terms, but now that you mention it, you know, like when you have big personalities like Anderson Dawes and Fred Johnson on the chessboard, where's Marco in all of that? While all of that is happening, he's Mm -hmm. skulking on Palace being like, one day I will get my moment. But I think it all kind of came together quickly. All the elements of Marco's plot kind of hang on the fact that Mars is falling apart and they're losing their dream. And so everything they've built is kind of up for grabs at this point because who cares about terraforming Mars? There's a thousand other planets we could go to. Mm. So what's the point? There's something to be said about the... uh, drug subplot that bobby has at one point in a previous season (laughs) that i was really not keen on uh and i found out kind of recently that it's actually the plot of a novella so it's not in the actual books but it kind of happens on the side but it kind of gives us a glimpse into that falling apart of mars like from the inside you know they're all just like eh, what's the point like just sell it so we needed the rings to appear And we needed all of those things to happen in order for them to be able to part with that stealth tech that Marco is depending on in order to hide those asteroids as they're, you know, I don't think he could have planned it for very long. It's just, right, we're going to jump on this opportunity here. (laughs) They're auctioning off whatever on the black market. Can I get some stealth tech, please? Yes. Okay, cool. And that's the moment I think that happens. So... Not really having had a look at what the time frame is. I don't know if we're ever given like a very specific, it's been X days or X months or X weeks. But I think he could keep a secret for a few months. Is it six months in between this season and the previous season? I think it's roughly something like that. Because there's a line about how long it takes for them to to head to the planet in the previous season. I'm trying to remember how long they said they'd been on the... Yeah, Avasarala has a has a line at some point, like while on Luna, she's like, "Oh, you know, like I've I've been here X amount of time or something." But I mean, you know, so like whatever. That's that's the time frame, because like the dissolution of Mars was kind of slow and gradual within season four. So however long that took, right? Um, and Bobby comes across people, Belters who are disguised in the docks. And they have like an agenda, they're there to buy something. So from that moment, I think, would be when your stopwatch starts. I don't think that he was thinking about it for that long in a in a concrete way, in a way that would be attainable and feasible, because like who was gonna sell Marco Inaro some stealth tech? Um <laughs> with what money also. Yeah, up until that point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there was the line um, right, right, right at the end of the season in your almost post-credits moment as they're going through the ring. It's the slackness that has got in. We won't be able to have any longer. We're going to have to be strict. We're going to have to follow the rules again. You know, we're going to have to follow for a single purpose because Mars was always kind of unbreakable. Yeah. You know, they had that single purpose, that single goal. And then in the previous season, you see it becomes pointless because they go, well, why would we work here when we can, we can claim a planet wherever we want that we can move into? Why would we keep doing this now? You know, they just, uh, the whole thing falls to pieces. So yeah, I I suppose you needed that. You needed what Gerard 
wanted, you know, the protomolecule sample and whatever else Marco had promised, any distractions and couriership through the belt so that there's sort of plausible deniability from some of the Martians in the, in the middle. They needed a fall guy in case it all went wrong and it was going to be Marco and it ended up paying off and he ended up getting his warships that he wanted. Yeah, like what are the odds? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, what, are what are the odds? The what odds are the chances? Any happening? <laughs> Any any thoughts on Marco, Aaron? Two things. I'll say I could, I did believe he could keep a secret because he would have been constantly crowing to his crew all the time, and that would have been good for his ego. I don't think <laughs> pushing that out any further would have been good for his ego at all because he'd get nothing back from somebody across a radio channel. I think he would have spent the entire time focused on the people that could beam back at him, and so. I don't. He would. He couldn't keep the secret, but it, it would have been across all of his crew, and that. But that would have been enough for him. So I didn't. I didn't bother so much by that. What I, what I spent more time being bothered about was something Kat said actually, which was Anson Dawes and Fred, uh, Fred Johnson. I can't remember his name now. Fred Johnson. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they, they don't. You know, so not appearing in this film almost. Well, one of them certainly isn't, but the other one is is in it just a little bit and they're so important both of them are because it's it it was disturbingly it reminded me a little bit of some of the ira stuff that Mm -hmm. i heard as a a kid because you have the the people who are who are talking talking to the politicians that's fred johnson and then you've got people who are simply at the back gathering the weapons and that's marco and then you've got anson doris who's in the middle and there's this constant battle within them. There are, and that, that and that's almost the problem for them. They can't unite. If these three leaders got together and united, devastating, can't be stopped. But they can't mm. because they're not going to agree because they've got their own ideologies. And that's so real. And that's one of the most interesting things about the whole Belter situation is these three perspectives. Now, I did see it play out with Kamina. And I think that's maybe I've put more onto Kamina than than actually happened because I wanted it so much. I won't pretend that I saw the politics in it. I think I just saw the politics being reacted to in her crew. But I really, really wanted to see more for Johnson something of Anderson Dawes and have their comment on it because they're going. One of them is now dead, but the other one is still there to be a politician in this and, and really control it. I kind of would have liked to see the three of them play off against each other or their agents play off against each other. But it, it, it comes down to that same problem of when you see Earth, who do you see? You see the courtier of a Sarala arguing one thing and you see the admiral uh, arguing the other side. And it's just two simple perspectives. So what do we get? We've got the belters where we get Marco saying one thing. And we just kind of need to get rid of the other Bedlitters because we've got our heroes front and center doing the rest. And so I, I felt like I, the, the reason I would have maybe still dropped Naomi's stuff in the ship, again, as good as it was, is because I feel like episode, uh, series four was all about the aliens and the Wibbly stuff and the heroes battling against the, the evil behind the scenes. And it's almost fantasy. And then you come into series five and you bring the politics back and you bring the politics back hard as this is really seriously about international politics. And when you miss out one of those really cornerstone factions 
from this universe two of them because i don't think fred really gets to do much he's he's really mm. just a a um somebody to facilitate holden's plot he isn't really getting to do much politics so i'm going to say fred and anderson are both removed and when you lose that that massive cornerstone it, it, it's in danger of taking away the believability i don't think it goes that far but it most definitely takes away something that's so interesting that it was a big loss for me and and that, that that's a shame because that they say that's the part i I was promised when season five opens and then I'm waiting for it and it, and it doesn't quite come, which is, which is a shame. I don't think it's an awful season for that. I, I'm probably given the wrong pro impression there, I, but it was something that was clearly missing. I would have really enjoyed. Can I ask Chris at the risk of spoiling us silly with book knowledge? <laughs> um, so it's my understanding that Fred Johnson doesn't die in this book. I believe Fred does it. I'm trying to remember my knowledge now, and I'm going to end up being corrected. But my knowledge is that Fred does not die on Tycho. Fred dies closer to how Alex dies, which is through a hard burn. That's how Fred goes out in the in the books, rather than rather than through that. Interested in the role that Kamina plays in. Like, because she doesn't exist in the books at all. Yeah, she was made up for the show, and I'm very happy that she has, because I think her stuff, some of the best stuff, any season she's on, she brings she brings the heavy artillery. Like, her stuff on the behemoth with Ashford was great, their relationship and stuff, and all of that building and how that culminated. And then her stuff, as you've said at length, Aaron, and this, which, you know, no, 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 no. I'm not saying it as a (laughs) criticism. I'm saying like, absolutely. Like her, her character arc is awesome. And her as a character, like, it's just so interesting to me because she's made up for the show, whether it's just giving her bits of the narrative that perhaps other characters have normally, but then inserting her, you know, by making her Fred Johnson second in command, for example, mm. or by giving her that command role on the behemoth. Maybe she was intended as a support character, but then just was too cool. <laughs> yeah. Too cool to ignore. <laughs> so I feel like they have built her up with more kind of like gravitas than perhaps she originally had. And maybe she kind of is a replacement for Fred now for all intents and purposes. I'm sad. He kind of was, was done away with in a unceremonious fashion. I was very sad about it. <laughs> I, I didn't realize how much I felt for Fred Johnson until it was like, Oh shit, they're going there. Oh no. <laughs> but we also kind of didn't have like a major, major death for some time so maybe you know it was just a way to give holden that that kick up the butt of like well okay like you don't you can't depend on fred you have to make these choices yourself it sort of leaves them out there with less and less allies as well and the belt more fractured than it has Mm. been because before you have had like anderson dawes you've had fred johnson to unify large sections of the belt Whereas taking key figures like that out, taking Fred out of the picture in Tycho, which has been essentially a bit of a safe haven, a bit of a middle ground in the belt, taking that out sort of puts more risk and more jeopardy out there, more chaos, I think. 
I think, Kat, you're probably right. The fact that they've taken Fred out earlier is probably more so that they can tie Drummer into some of the stuff going forward. Drummer is still angry at Marco. As much as she can't take his fleet just now, she's going to go in, out and, and see what she can gather. She's going to try and be a sounder voice for people to rally behind the Marco, I think. And it'll be interesting to see what they do with her because... Like you say, she's not part of the books. They can do a bit of free roaming. In fact, one of the characters that they, they've built Drummer on and built the plot on, they've introduced this season. The, the head of security from Tycho uh, is a, a, a bull that they've brought in this season is one of the characters that Drummer is based on from the previous books. Mm. So it's interesting ah. that they've, you know, by, by having Drummer there, they've now pulled another character who at this point, wouldn't be around <laughs> in, this, in terms of the books. And they've, they've brought them in. So it's 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 really interesting the way they're playing about with it. I don't think a lot of it's for the worse. There's odd bits where I go, I would love to see this acted on screen with these actors. I would love to see this moment. And I don't get it. Yeah. But story-wise, I don't think they've done a bum steer, really. I don't think they've... I trust them in what they've done, and they've not they've not disappointed me with with what they've done so far. Because obviously there is a massive deviation, and I know we've kind of skirted around it so far, but there is a massive deviation that happens in this final episode, which is obviously going to have an impact going forward. Mm. Yes, that's very interesting that she's kind of based on Bull. I didn't like him. <laughs> <laughs> as a character i was just like all right can this guy go away now i'm i'm done with him okay please he brings an interesting perspective that we haven't had the racism against belters which we don't we don't really get to see very much of that because we're kind of mostly on the perspective of the belters right so like seeing somebody routinely call them skinnies and be like just very derogatory while, by the way, working in the belt <laughs> with belters. Like, that's <laughs> that's a choice, my dude. It's a, it's a choice you make for your life. I do hope that's not Alex's replacement, because I don't know how well he would gel with the rest of the crew on a permanent basis, but we'll see, I suppose. That's uncharted territory. <laughs> that element of the character confused me a little mm. bit, because I thought, is this the guy that Fred Johnson would hire like would fred have him as the head of security while he's he's throwing about terms like that because that seems like it would more inflame a situation than make it better having your head of security be (laughs) be that sort of bias that and it doesn't seem like a fred move yeah especially the way he's hired in the past as far as i am remembering and i'm gonna get tons of corrections on this i'm sure as far as i'm remembering he's not like that in the Mm. book so that's kind of a decision that they've taken for the show and portraying him that way. And maybe it's to try and give him development. Maybe that's the angle that they're doing. So you set him out like this at the beginning and then he's going to be working on the ship for a longer period of time. It's going to pan out better. I don't know. It mm. might be the reason that they're setting up that way. I mean, they are heavily hinting that he's going to be taking over from Alex by the fact that they had him drinking out of his Drinking his from cup. the cup, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if that's the way that you officially pass a ship from one person to another is that you drink from their mug and then you that's it, you know, you're hired. <laughs> I mean, they do need a new pilot. And of the other recurring characters, I don't know that anyone is 
as strong of a pilot. And even Alex, you know, he didn't start off as a strong pilot. He was, he said it himself, it was glorified bus driver. Mm -hmm. That was his character journey was he grew into the pilot he always wanted to be. So I don't know if, you know, this guy will end up joining the crew proper and then having like a similar a similar situation i gotta ask about the elephant in the room how do we feel about alex kicking the bucket because <laughs> i was surprised i think it was the wrong choice yeah i was really surprised i thought they were gonna recast him because they recast arjun so why not recast you know like you <laughs> and that worked so well I, the I last time wrote <laughs> I, just, I just saw it as like you know obviously they're not afraid to recast where you know, they have a character who keeps appearing, but the actor's busy, so they just brought somebody else and just kind of didn't... <laughs> Nothing to see here, folks. So I just thought, well, it would suck to have that kind of same, like, eh, nothing to see here, folks. But also, yeah, I just really didn't expect that they would actually get rid of him. They've separated the whole crew out as well for the entire series. They could have just kept the crew separate. Even if they don't want to recast and reuse Mm. the character, they could have just sent the character off somewhere. It almost feels like we need to make sure the marketing on this is really good. We are immune from all bad things happening on this set. So we're not only firing the actor, we're killing the character. Look at us. We're a good production company who tolerates mm-hmm. nothing bad here. And well, what? 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 You just your your answer is to firestorm. You know that's not going to help anybody. But so there was no need. I mean, what they I think what they did was they said they wanted something that was done they could film really quickly. And well, well, just film the ship going away. You know, so <laughs> then you don't even need the actor for that. You can actually just... I don't even think they did film anything special for no. it, to be honest. They I, I, it I looks think. like it was a freeze frame. Yeah. It was a freeze frame with some alarm sound effects over it, I think. Mm-hmm. If you look back at the shot, it doesn't look like that was redone. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I think they reshot the bits after, because I think there was footage or stills of Alex in the bar scene at the end, mm-hmm. but they reshot the mm-hmm. bits where, you know, Avasarala says, you know, I'm sorry for your loss and things like that. Obviously, the way that the crew kind of says goodbye, emotionally at least. After they've had a really good party where they're all really happy, which I'm thinking, what? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that pull kind one of- out, you know yeah. what I mean? Don't just go, oh, thank God it wasn't <laughs> us. Excellent. Moving on. That kind of points at the reshoots being a thing because they wouldn't necessarily be like smiling um, after having lost him but it kind of is what it is in that sense but yeah i mean i did expect a big decision to be made for those listeners who are like what are they talking about oh yeah because because you know like you (laughs) you guys and i know um but for those not in the in the internet sphere Cass Anvar, the actor who played Alex, was revealed to have been a very creepy scumbag um, to a lot of people, including co-workers, including people on the Expanse set. Just, you know, being very inappropriate, very... and just using whatever. And it's like, you know, like, man, like, he wasn't even unattractive, but like, why you gotta go be a douchebag? I just don't understand. And... The production company hired somebody to do an investigation. They clearly found enough evidence that they were like, right, okay, no, you're out. I do kind of think that based on the approach that the show kind of took at the end with 
Naomi's message to Holden. Sometimes, like, people in our families come and go. We got to appreciate the good that we have, and sometimes change will happen, but it's it's okay. And that can't not be on purpose. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like that. And they... For all the, you know, oh man, I don't know. I feel like there's a message in there that's deeper than just the show. I feel like the show's parenting me and telling me that (laughs) don't go on Twitter and complain because actually it's being done for the right reasons. No, I'm an adult. I I am able to make this decision myself. You know what I mean? I can look at at evidence and this, that and the other, you know. It's too heavy-handed for my tastes. Sure. I, I mean, your, your opinion's completely valid. And I do think that they th- th- there is an alternative universe in which they recast him, and it, it's fine. Mm-hmm. I absolutely support them firing him, though. I don't think you could have kept him. I, <laughs> like, like you say, if, if, they, if they've investigated and they've found yeah. wrongdoing, then they've done the right thing, removing him from the environment. Story-wise and show-wise, I think the way they did it was a bit abrupt and seeing their statements about it it kind of makes a little bit of sense that what they've said is the stakes in this show have been really really high we've seen this crew go through so much and at the end of every single season they're all alive here they are here's these characters and you know (laughs) obviously i've said i've said this is a dive diversion from the book he survives in the book. They survive a yeah. lot. <laughs> so, you know, it's one of those things where they've gone, look, look, we've, we've made the stakes real and we've had this character die. But the way they've done it was very short. And That's just convenient after the fact. Look, it was good after all. No, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Don't try and cover it over. It, you haven't done this because you wanted to make it more real. And that's just a lie. If that's what I want, I don't want people to to hide behind the truth. I don't, mm. This is where I can't, I don't like the other thing. It feels like marketing has gotten involved. It feels like someone said, phone the PR team and make this better. <laughs> you can't. Just acknowledge if, it. Yeah. Be grown up about it and, and move on, as you have done. If you think we did a, a good job of walking our way around <laughs> this, then you should see all the, all the behind-the-scenes videos and the interviews with the cast. They've been doing weekly episodes where they've been talking about the show and making the show and they've had different guests on talking about it and they have not mentioned a thing it was very briefly talked about in the the most recent sort of behind the scenes chat and it was very 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 you know it's just notable by its absence more than anything else to be honest yeah it's absolutely it's absolutely damage control move not to say that it shouldn't that it shouldn't be um that it's a bad thing that it's a it's damage control because it's it's bad yo it's really bad and you don't want to spend time kind of you don't want this guy and his like creepy shenanigans tarnish what the show is and what it has become and what it has proven it can be for science fiction tv storytelling um to just kind of have like, oh, well, you know, and then this guy, what the, you don't want to talk about that and not talk about the show and the craftsmanship and like all the stuff. Like for Christmas, my partner got me uh, the, the art book of like Behind the Expanse and just the amount of work that's gone into the show 
from a production design standpoint, mm. from a craft standpoint, it's not been done before to this scale. Um, and it's, you know, we have the sweet Amazon money to thank for in the last couple of seasons. <laughs> like, I don't think the, the VFX would have looked as good as they do the last couple of years. Like, there's just, there's shots that they, they wouldn't have dared to attempt VFX-wise in the previous seasons. And, like, you can just tell the, like, <laughs> it just kind of like whoosh oh wow okay that looks amazing not that it looked bad before but it's just it scales up and I think that it's it's okay to like take that approach in the in the behind the scenes stuff to like not talk about the the Cass Anvar situation because it's not the show it's not what the show's about you deal with a bad fruit and you get rid of it and you keep the rest of the basket and yeah. I think that's what's happened here. I do have to say, you know, <laughs> in terms of like deciding to kill the character off, yes, it is abrupt. It absolutely is abrupt. It's like I was holding my breath waiting to see what was going to happen to him because I knew that something, something that they were going to have to do something <laughs> with this guy. Something was going to have to happen. And so I was holding my breath towards the end, seeing like where. And so that was just like, a, oh, oh, so that's what they're doing. Okay. I do agree there wasn't enough build up towards anything like that, any hint or anything like that. At the same time, because like it, it happens to Fred in the books, he goes from like a high G bird and it's like, well, if it were to happen, it absolutely would have happened like that. If anything, the fact that Alex gets to go a hero as a character, right? still kind of you know he was he was a, a what, what did naomi call him a brave idiot absolutely mm. he spends so much time talking to that martian lady at one point <laughs> giving out his entire background and like privileged information that that martian lady should not know <laughs> and it's just like oh my god alex please shut up for the love of god stop talking you know like we all love him as a character, you know, he was the the necessary comedy relief a lot of the time. He didn't have that righteous gravitas that Holden, you know, he's always like, I'm James Holden. He was just kind of there to provide that kind of relief. And so it's no begrudging like the character himself, like Alex didn't do anything. And so the show kind of respects that. That's why I think I'm okay with this. And I think that there's there's a way to make a lot of this work down the line. Because, like, at the end of the day, you know, he's not... Alex isn't relevant to any major plot point ever, I don't think. You know, he absolutely is a side character. He's lovely. We like him. But if you take him out at the end of the day, he it's not like suddenly we've lost Holden. You know, it's not the same thing. He's not... Yeah. He's not I, I don't think he's ever been that significant. That's where I'm at with that. I like that he gets to go out in a positive light. He's not a bad person he's up in his life you know his family is on mars and he never got to be the dad that he wanted to be and all that um yeah rest in peace man you know you made the right point that he the character goes out as a hero in the end the the writing options are i've decided to go back to mars and try and make a, a good run of it with the family or you do the massive reshoots of having bobby by herself in the razorback for Oof, the entire yeah. season which is a lot of a lot of refilming and a lot of redoing stuff mm. to make that work. And then, you know, the next season, 
uh, Alex arrives back on the ship and they go, oh, Alex, you've changed your hair <laughs> and your face and your body. Was there a show? I want to say that was done somewhere. I want to say that sounds familiar. I, it probably has. It's you know in in my head I've got like that's like if they were going to do recasting or anything like that, that's the kind of thing they would have got to go. Oh well, you've been on Mars for a year and you've got fat and you've changed your hair. And, you know. <laughs> but you know, I don't know if any of these are any more satisfactory than than anything else. It's a tough line to walk on. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. You know, like recastings are always tough, no matter what you do. Oh, you know what it was? I think it was uh, Don Cheadle in Iron Man 2 or whatever. I think it was Iron Man 2. Was yeah, it? I want to say it was just kind of like, hey, uh... You look a little different. Uh, new haircut? And it's like, yeah, something like that. I want to say it was something like that. It sounds like something Tony Stark would say. Um, hey, do you know what? It might have been. It might have been, yeah. Um, it would be that kind of way that they would, they would get And I feel it. like that's the um, most major glaring like recast we've had in like, a major pop culture thing. Um, people don't tend to do recasts. And I suppose like the <laughs> maybe they... they took a lesson from the Arjun thing and it was like, mm, maybe we're not going to do that again because who wants to <laughs> who wants to fall into that trap again? Yeah. Maybe let's not do it. N- no more to say on that other than I'm interested yeah. to see where they will take it. I feel like, if anything, like by taking Fred out early, I wonder what, like any of that, it's all just kind of uncharted as far as the adaptation's concerned and that could be interesting they generally take like liberties <laughs> with what they kind of change and stuff there's there's a lot of rejigging that happens anyway so and and it's it's part of why you know I'm kind of letting it play out before I read the books to it till the end. It, it just sucks all the fun out. Depends on if you remember what you read. If As you're well. anything like me, you, you read these things, you read these things a few years ago and then suddenly you go, oh really, did that happen? I can't remember now off the top of my head. So you know what, Kat, it's just as fresh to me <laughs> <laughs> as it is to everyone else. So that's, uh, that's a good news. You just need a memory like mine, like I said, and then it all, uh, it all pans yeah, in. Fair. I was going to lead on towards... Because we've kind of covered the main story arcs, I think. The only person that we've not really covered is Holden, but we've kind of touched on Holden through the other storylines. Unless anyone has got anything glaring that they're wanting to say about Holden's position in this particular one. Like I I think you've you've said already, he took a back seat Mm. this season. A lot of previous seasons have been kind of through Holden's perception because of the investigator and how all that worked as well, it had to be Holden that was in a lot of those things. Whereas this season, he's on his own. He's 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 isolated. He's out of the picture. And the main plot lines aren't really revolving around him as mm. much. Yeah, it's. I think it's the very first time he's not the center of everybody's attention. And mm. it's interesting. It doesn't feel as much as, you know, I mean, I've told you he's my favorite, but I didn't feel a lack of Holden because there was just so much else that was interesting happening that it's okay for once if you're not the the star of the show it's fine there's other plot lines that we're exploring now it's cool to see him be like the doting boyfriend if anything you know especially towards the end being like I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to go save Naomi and I don't care what you say you know and it's just yeah like letting letting her take the lead this time I don't hate it 
you know, I'm sure we'll be back on the Holden show. <laughs> season six, episode one. <laughs> Holden um, show coming soon. <laughs> season six, man. Like it's, I don't, I don't think they're going to skip a beat. I just need him to say, my name is James Holden as he projects a message into space. Um, that's like, I just wish this show had a bigger fan base so that my name is James Holden could be a meme. <laughs> Like in the general like <laughs> pop culture sphere, because I feel like that's what I, I I tend to say this and then have to explain who James Holden is. Whenever someone's just like, okay, but like now listen here, <laughs> my name is James Holden. <laughs> I just you know I I'm about to make a proclamation. Yeah, you know, <laughs> declare a wrongdoing. I will, decl- I will declare, <laughs> and I will declare with like me being who I am is important. <laughs> For this declaration, because <laughs> uh, like, if you if you rewatch like, because again, you know, because I recently binged it, he does this a lot, <laughs> and I think it's hilarious. You know, it's still it's still very much like a niche show, so like, it, it the reference will only get you so far. Aaron, have you got anything to add on on Holden's journey through this as we we get towards wrap up? Uh, only the same as I'd probably say about the rest of them. It probably would have had more going on if it had had more time. Otherwise, mm-hmm. he as he is, he's, he's playing support. He's I mean he has had arcs, you know, before. He's 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 lost his way. He's he's found his he's found his way back and so on. But the the sort of good guy paladin character is always really difficult to write. And if you're not at least going to put him on stage often enough, that's just going to make it even harder. So he suffers like they all do for the same reason. It's a distance thing as well. It's a time thing, and you know the show keeps itself realistic. They're not they're not jumping people around the solar system at a whim. It is yeah. a time specific bit. So quickly, any um, I know we've covered quite a lot. So any sort of favourite moments from the season that we've not discussed already that you're you're desperate to talk about? I do have one that I, I do want to bring up because I, I always look out for my Amos moments. I know Katz, you've got a special relationship with him, but <laughs> I do like them. Probably not as much, but I do like the, some of his his Amos moments. And there was one that I just had to share with the group chat because it it was just nice to see it like they all are. It's all heartwarming. And it's the point where he's talking with Peaches in the abandoned not abandoned. There's that compound that's been defended by the guy, and they, they they kill him in the end, and they take his take his house and all of his gear, his gear. And Clarissa, I think she she makes Amos realise that he's pretty much gone back to his roots, where he is prepared to just do what it takes, mm. kill people without thinking about it, and he's he's just gone backwards in his development. And he just turns to empty space and says, "Yeah, I need to get back to Holden." Yeah, and it was just really, mm. it was almost, it was it was a bit cute and a bit and a, and a bit. Oh no, don't bring the pallet and Holden <laughs> back in. But the thing is, why wouldn't Amos think that way? Yeah, this is the guy that showed me, and he's very direct. Mm-hmm. He doesn't hide stuff. He's just going to say it how it is. Yeah, I learned how to be a good guy from Holden. Yeah, I need more of that. Let's go back yeah. there. And it, it because it's that brutal honesty. I thought. I felt the same thing. It wasn't quite as good as he's my best friend in all the world, but what could possibly be? <laughs> you know? Yeah. But it was it was still up there, and, and it was still one of my favorite moments from, from the whole series. Yeah. Oh, I'd forgotten that. That is a, it's a great moment. Absolutely agree. Because it's also 
because he lost his trust in Naomi for a while, and this was the reminder that, like, oh, actually, he trusts Holden in that way now. Like, he's his compass, or at least a compass, and that's mm. who Naomi used to be to him. And I think by now, his and Naomi's relationship has been repaired, but, like, w- wow, it's taken a beating. Mm. And changed. Yeah. It's a good moment, that one, actually. I do, I do like that. It's kind of he's he's lost his Jiminy Cricket voice in the back of his head, and he's he's having to try and work it out for himself, and he can't quite hear that voice that he normally does saying, "How how about how about we don't raid the guy and steal all his stuff? How about that? How about we don't do that?" Yeah. Nope, nope. He does it anyway. It's uh, <laughs> it's all good. Uh, Kat, have you got any uh, scene you'd like to talk about that we haven't managed to cover Special yet? Special moments. I think we've covered a lot of them in the talking about the different subplots. I do kind of like the reunion of Avasarala and Bobby. I feel like they belong together. We've always known <laughs> that Bobby was going to work for Avasarala at some <laughs> point. So it's like, all right, can we, like, it's been two seasons. Can you guys, like, work together now? Thank you. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. I think that'll be cool. And yeah, just kind of things that people have like kind of pointed out on Twitter after the fact, but it was really interesting is that we kind of end the show with the answer or rather like the, the real world version of the, a belter, an earther and a Martian walk into a bar. (laughs) And I just think that's beautiful. Oh, that's quite nice actually. Yeah, (laughs) it's true. It's true. I didn't think of that. We waited ages to get the outcome of that joke and it, it, it never, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's interesting, Never you know, really that the uh, the, the punchline in, in World, you know, it ends up not being very funny after all. And the real situation of having them all in a bar means something else than what the joke intends, you know? Um, it actually means unity. Mm. And, yeah, that's just, it's just really nice. Warm and fuzzy space stuff. Warm and, warm and fuzzy. In, in, a, in a season that has been devoid of a lot of warm and fuzzy. Yeah, there's just um, there's a lot nice, of meteors nice hurtling through space. Nice to get those moments. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a lot of apocalypse. There's a lot of big mm. numbers on screen as these meteors are, are, are hitting Earth. So, yeah, it's nice to get the little uh, the little warm and fuzzies. And, yeah, Bobby now working for Avasarala officially like you say about time like even when avasarala went to mars last season i was like yes now take bobby back with you <laughs> it's like rescue her from what she's doing <laughs> it's like don't just leave her there what are you doing putting her next to your fake husband this doesn't work she knows it's not real yeah it was nice seeing them together i thought there was um there was a few good fight and action sequences this season that i really liked i thought the taiko the sort of turn of fate it it Tycho, hmm. where you don't know who's a turncoat, who's not a giant spider robot thing breaking into the the, the space station. I'm like, yes, that was awesome. Also, um, action scene wise, the shuttle fight as they're trying to board the shuttle and get off Earth. I think it's episode nine. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say. I think that was just really well done. It was like they had built the stakes, they had set the ground, and. Yeah, trying trying to get everyone on the on the shuttle and out alive, I thought was just really well done in that particular scene. But some really really good stuff this season. We've covered a lot of it. So before we finish, before we run away, I've got to ask the the question of what are your expectations for the next season and what is apparently the final televised season, which is an interesting line for them to take because. What they tease at the end of this, the the Laconia 
arc that they tease at the end of this season. I never thought they would go near after they announced that the next season was going to be the final one. <laughs> it's a big story to tease and saying that you're going into your final season. So any any thoughts? What are your, your expectations? I mean, coming into this from a non-reader perspective as a whole, um, I am glad to kind of come back to, like, protomolecule-related horror slash, like, let's not forget ourselves. Like, yes, a lot of the show and what the world building is about is the kind of strife between these three groups of humans. But also, let's not forget the blue elephant in the room <laughs> that is, like, <laughs> alien shit trying to kill us slash stuff we don't understand. Uh, I, I'm all about that kind of cosmic we just don't know what is happening. You know, we had that beautiful moment in season four with the like weird black hole thing at the bottom of Illus that the lady went through mm. and she said she saw stuff. And there is like absolutely a tease in the end of the season that kind of hints at all of that becoming the focus again i'm very very excited for a blend of like yes like we have to bring humanity to together as like one group because there's this external threat and this is how we do it so looking forward to that i don't know whether or not like that arc is that like the next kind of set of books those books that take place... When the authors talk about it, they say they've got a few geologies and uh, a trilogy, and the Laconia stuff is the trilogy. And everything else they take in twos, essentially. They group into twos. So that, I think, is a bigger a bigger story mm -hmm. out there. And there is a time jump as well. There is like a 10-year time jump in the books. So I'm guessing, if I was a betting man that the next season stops before a 10-year jump. Hopefully we don't actually have to wait an actual 10 years before we get to see what happens to this crew, because I, you know, I don't want that. That's what I expect as well. I think they're going to kind of end things that, where the natural stopping point is for that book and that kind of... Like, here, here's where we wrap these characters and, like, this bit of the story... Because clearly, like, for a, a time skip of that kind of length to be necessary, that means that there's not a lot interesting that happens in those 10 years that warrants telling right now. And so I feel like that will be a natural stopping point. So I'm not unhappy with this being the last season. I can see that they, they kind of seem to have, like, uh, you know, like, secret aspirations for stuff. <laughs> um, you know, maybe a video game, maybe a movie, maybe, you know, like something of that caliber. Um, so something else, but a different format. They have been hinting that like, oh, you know, don't worry, it's not the end. Um, and the confidence with which they are <laughs> talking like this fills me with hope about, I don't think we're going to have to wait 10 years to see to see what happens. I'm 100% with you on that because it seems like the, the difference between this and the original cancellation that they went through was like, there is no hope, all is lost. And with this, it's like, well, just you wait until you yeah. see what we announced just halfway <laughs> through the next season. You know, it's what like... a different mood. <laughs> like, whenever The Expanse yeah. got cancelled, like from sci-fi or rather like the license wasn't renewed because it was never it was never a sci-fi production but they were licensing the broadcast rights 
And so because they didn't have like basically a a place to put the show on, now what? Mm-hmm. Like I remember that campaign like we we fought so hard. <laughs> uh, I made a video on YouTube and it's still up. You can I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. Um my friend and I we made a video about saving the expanse and why we should save the expanse um and the uh the writer's twitter followed me <laughs> they followed me back <laughs> they still hey. follow me for some reason so <laughs> what's up expanse writers love you guys um so yeah like it's just it was just so stressful it was just such a stressful time um and this is just such a mood change they're all just like oh yeah don't worry about it it's fine it's gonna be fine <laughs> ty frank and daniel yeah, abraham don't, being don't, like don't yeah it's everyone. okay it's okay <laughs> yeah don't don't start the campaign yet don't don't start <laughs> flying biplanes outside of amazon hq don't Why start not? putting the uh, don't pay for the blimps and everything you know Please don't stay calm. Uh, stay calm. That was that was. Just uh, Aaron, are you staying calm for the next season? <laughs> I, I guess I suspect there'll probably be too much to do in one season, so I don't know where they'll stop it. I don't know how they're going to resolve all the politics and all the protomatical and all the alien in ten episodes. Um, but at least the crew's back together, so I guess I guess they, yeah. they could get through it. So I'm, I'm slightly nervous about the amount that seems left to resolve but but, Mm -hmm. you know i've misplaced my trust before and regretted it so i should keep my trust i'll I'll think it'll be sad to lose the politics i know it's going to go into the background a bit and i'm going to be sad about that but they do need to deal with the alien stuff as as Kat said that's that's got to come back i'm just hoping it won't be too magical spiritual because the the expense has been so grounded in its realism with its science the the more wibbly they go with you step through the portal to where the demon creatures are and that you know, do we have to can we not just have like an alien race you know and, and mm-hmm. so the fact that they have these these ethereal creatures flying around in other space to me is is in danger of making it magic and fantasy and i, I find that too much of a a jump on hard science fiction when when they do it. So there's no reason they have to. There's no reason they, they do. I guess I'm just naturally negative. I, guess, <laughs> I don't know. No, no, there's good stuff in there. I've got every hope it will be good. Um, and and yeah, I should put my trust in it and keep it there. So so yeah, let's stay calm and positive. Exactly. I mean, like like I say, that's why I was slightly surprised when they teased what they did at the end of the season because I thought, well, you've got an entire sort of Marco plot to wrap up. You're not going to leave him floating about in space in the next season. You're not going to leave. How do you split all that up? How do you how do you give everyone a satisfactory ending? And maybe maybe the plan is that they're not going to wrap up and finish everything and they've got another way of spinning it off so we'll see um i look forward to it and i look forward to hopefully talking to you both about it at the end of next season thanks for you both coming on the podcast today much appreciated absolute pleasure and i look forward to to speaking to you on future podcasts so aaron and kat thank you very very much and 
Thank you for joining us for this episode of Neil Before Pod. If you have stumbled across this episode, please remember to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. And if you feel generous, leave us a nice comment as well. If you like our musings on the podcast, then why not visit the website, neilbeforeblog.co.uk, where you'll find the latest reviews, the latest TV shows and movies, plus the show notes, which we have talked so much about. If you'd like to be notified of all that good stuff and when we post it, then you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, where you'll find us as at NeilBeforeBlog. We'd also like to thank the fantastic Matt Kessel for his cover of the Expanse theme tune that we've used throughout the programme. We look forward to you joining us next time on Neil Before Pod, 